said constantly was, wow. Like, I'd come out and yeah, be like, you did wow. Say, you did say that a lot. There's, <laughs> wow. It's on video of her being like, wow. <laughs> Meet Britt and Casey here on the Rain Studios podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Rain Studios podcast. I am Rain Reed, your host, and today I am so excited to bring episode 11. Um, This is some friends of mine, um, a couple. Britt and Casey, and they are here to tell not only the birth story of their daughter, Tegan, but they are also here to tell um, the story of how they met, how they sort of came to be, and even um, before um, their own birth stories. So this was a pretty, like, pinnacle or, like, flagship moment in um, for me as a podcast host to realize that not only is it important that we hear the birth stories of our children, but it's important that we go back, you know, um, generations past and, and starting with looking at our own births. So our own births into this world and how that may have affected um, the course of our lives um, and the course of our birth choices for our children. Um, and I want to point out that um, this is not a super crunchy family that opted for a home birth. Um, Britt was really, um, she was certain right off the bat that she wanted to have um, a home birth. And But Casey was, you know, a little bit harder to get on board, um, but not even hard. I don't know why I say hard. It was just he needed more information. And um, so they very responsibly got more information and very quickly Casey jumped on board and um you know Casey's a financial advisor Merrill Lynch and um and you know a very contemporary human (laughs) um and it's really it's cool it's so neat to finally have um, a male perspective here on the show so I'm super excited to share this with you um if you're a birthing mama or um, just if you're someone out there like trying to get your partner on board male female whatever it is but this is a really great episode to um, to listen to and to um, kind of nestle into the fact that you know we can change our um, our minds and we can uh, look to our intuition and also look at the data look at the numbers um, I know a lot of people are about data and numbers I'm um, I think I benefit from learning about that stuff. I can totally nerd out, but ultimately, um, I am a big fan of being rooted in, in instinct and intuition. But um, yeah, Britt and Casey here to tell their story. So super excited to give this to you guys. Um, a little homework or promo that I want to do is um, for my own birth courses. So I've got a course that I'm. that's called Birth. Um, spelled B-E-A-R-T-H. So like birth, but birth like the earth. <laughs> and you can find links to this on my website. Um, and so I'm teaching a course that's called Birth that's really based on an in- instinctual and intuitive um, preparation of birth course. and it's traditionally offered as a six weeks we're doing all zoom right now two-hour sessions Um, we pick a time that can work for for you or you and your partner or you and whoever is supporting you through your birth Um, and yeah we rock that out so um, if you're interested in working with me I would love 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 to work with you 
And um, I also offer a course that's called Rebirth. So spelled very similarly, R-E, and then birth, spelled like B earth. <laughs> and so in this course, um, it, it kind of arose out of just necessity, right? And because what happened was, is as I was, as I've been had the grace of working with clients, working with um, birthing humans and their um, partners and, you know, just getting into this work, every time I'm like, gosh, wouldn't it be so cool to have some of these conversations before we even get pregnant, before we're even conceiving? of the baby. And so, um, and this is for people in a relationship or this is also for people not in a relationship. Um, this is for anyone who is trying to understand their own physical being a little deeper, um, a lot deeper (laughs) and to dive into your, uh, instinct, into your wisdom internally. Um, and, it can be a, a rebirth and this can also be focused like not necessarily on birthing a child but this could be birthing an idea or birthing a garden or birthing a business that you've always wanted to um, pursue it it just can you can really take this work and go all kinds of places um, the sky is the limit and it's been just such an honor to work with those of you I have gotten the pleasure and honor of working with and so I just like to plug that course here as well so whether you're planning on being a birthing person or not um, this is there is a there is an invitation for you and we do it the same way um, I, I standardly do it as a six-week course um, two-hour sessions all on Zoom at the moment. Um, but there's also wiggle room. Um, we can we can change it up and um, or extend the course uh, for a couple of more weeks if we need some more sessions. You know that's the beauty of this kind of um, of this kind of thing is that we have a lot of flexibility and um, freedom. So big intro there. Sorry for all that chatter but um yeah feel free to check it all out on the instagram and um on my website everyinstudios.com and oh one more thing last but not least if you are interested in being a free birther so um uh, that means just taking taking matters completely into your own hands and um without uh any medical supervision or um official midwifery supervision um and I am here to offer support for that and also to attend if that's something that you're interested in. So again, all information on the website and feel free to DM me or email me at any time and I'd love to hear from you. Okay, woo! Britt and Casey, take it away. We were actually just like fluffing around about who you guys are, but I think... I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. And how you met. Yeah. Oh, man. I know. We met a long time before we got together. Yeah. Yeah. Years. Yeah. We knew each other in college and kind of went on different paths in life. And, and then... Geographically, where are we in college? We're in, we both went to the University of Oregon, so... Oh, sweet. We're in Eugene, and uh, we're both working, going to school, and kind of seeing other people and just doing different things in life and heading in different directions. And then we diverged from one another for a number of years and 
she went back and got her master's and I started my career in finance and then we kind of came back together very like serendipitously at a party um, <laughs> like a, during the week which was not normal for me to like do anything other than go to bed at like 8.30 um, <laughs> during the week because that time my career I would get up really early like 5, 5 in the morning and so I went out and to this birthday party and Britt was there and we hadn't seen each other in years like three three years yeah 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 did you ever date before <laughs> not each other no you just but like you were just friends yeah i was really good friends with his best friend mm -hmm. but he was like kind of in and out of the scene when we would hang out with his friend mm -hmm. so his friend would have us over for barbecues and you know the typical college let's go to this bar tonight or let's meet up and do this and casey was kind of in and out so i knew who he was but he was always the kid that, um, he always would go to bed early. <laughs> he wouldn't really, he'd like show his face and then be like, all right, peace out. I have stuff to do tomorrow. So I'm not going to like well, get crazy, yeah, you know? So it. he was definitely kind of the odd person in the group where everybody else was like, let's have fun. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. And so my first impression of him was like, oh, this this guy doesn't really like fun. Because, you know, like, where I was at, <laughs> I was like, let's meet all the people and do all the things. And he was very, you know, tunnel-visioned of what he was doing in his life, which is totally who he is now. Yeah. But it was fun to come back and... And yeah. what were you studying? What were you studying so diligently? Um, I was... Well, was I in business school or was I done with business school at that point? You I was either at the tail end of business school um, where I had started... Um, my career and you know I, during school I still worked like 50 hours a week while going to school wow. so it wasn't I where were you working? I worked at Best Buy just nice. a, a college job yeah. um, which was great it was yeah. fun um, and I, th I think it was the tail end of college and then the beginning of I think I had already started working at Merrill at that point yeah so at this party yeah, part well, of we it, connected. Yeah. yeah, he had just a lot of my yeah. friends graduated later than me. Yeah, and even then, you know, I don't say this in a derogatory term. Kind of had um, jobs, not careers. Yeah, and had not transitioned into careers. Where I went straight from school into my career, mm -hmm. um, which you know, I didn't necessarily know what I was getting into until I was in it. <laughs> And then the demands just kind of conformed my life to meet them. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of had to be a little bit of a square pants to just survive. Right on. Yeah. So when we reconnected, I was in my master's program and I had just gotten back from traveling through mm -hmm. Europe by myself. And we struck Which was the spark. It was the spark because mm -hmm. he did business school in Copenhagen. Oh, In Denmark. Whoa. So we were just like ignoring the party happening around us and we're just totally absorbed in this conversation about traveling and where we were at and Italy and Europe yeah. And, yeah. and it drove us to then you want to meet this week for lunch or you want to go for a walk you know later this week and mm -hmm. it just like naturally kind of like funneled us into this world of yeah, connection connection and mm -hmm. we were just like grossly Infatuated with each other within pretty quick, pretty quick, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Which was interesting because, like, when we first met each other, it was like 
That was not the thing. Yeah. (laughs) This kid doesn't like fun. (laughs) So then, like, when we reconnected, it was, it was, you couldn't deny or you couldn't, like, ignore Mm -hmm. that there was, like, some intense magnetism happening. Mm -hmm. So cool. Yeah. Well, and as you both know, like, the first impressions is part of this conversation that's at the end, but I don't follow. Mm -hmm. That's why there's no numbers. Yeah. Um, But so, do you remember, like, that first impression, like, at that party, like, you really, like, remember what it looks like? Is it, like, a vivid memory? Do you have, like, flashes of, like, what you were wearing or what he smelled like? Like, yeah, so... The lighting, I feel like lighting is always a thing. <laughs> well, it was such a shock because he walked in with his best friend who I had known for a long time. And we, like he said, we hadn't seen each other in, like, three years. Mm-hmm. So when he walked in, it was just pure joy and excitement to see them because mm-hmm. we hadn't seen each other in so long. And then as the night progressed, I just remember my eyes constantly like going back to see where he was. <laughs> and he, you know, our friends at the time were so, they were still caught up in that like party scene and like wanting to like drink a bunch mm-hmm. and hit up the bars. And him and I were so focused on being in our or working towards our careers and I was working three jobs at the time and in my master's degree and so I felt like everybody else just wasn't even there you know and I just I remember standing in the kitchen and looking at him and it was in the fall it was like probably the second football game of the season and Casey was just like by himself watching football mm-hmm. and could care less what everybody else was doing. And it just was so intriguing to me. And I remember he obviously was wearing like a duck shirt, okay. an Oregon duck shirt. <laughs> and then we all went out dancing later that night and we were the weirdos in the middle of the dance floor yelling at each other, trying to have conversation, <laughs> like as we're like dancing and sweaty messes. Yeah. And we went over and sat down in a booth and got drinks and started talking about Europe. And our friends came over and kept trying to, like, come out and dance. And we're like, leave us the hell alone. We're talking. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just remember feeling like I wanted more time to talk to her more. Yeah. And, and it was, like, annoyed that people kind of had this agenda for us this evening. Like, oh, you need to dance. I'm like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> Which is talk to her primarily more than anything else. Um, and I remember going home that night and just being like, wow, that was very unexpected. Mm -hmm. That is not how I expected the night to go. And I ended up staying out till some obscene hour. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think we went home till like two in the morning, which is not, not my jam, jam. um, (laughs) at all. Um, but I was happy to do it Mm -hmm. because I was, I was having a great time. Um, which I think was a sign of just how engrossed I was um which I thought also I think also caught me off guard because I had come from I'd come from kind of a hard place in in my life from a relationship standpoint my previous relationship was very bad ended very poorly and so I'd I'd been I don't know call it in solitude for Mm -hmm. um I don't know eight or nine months Um, and really worked on yourself yeah and done a lot of went to therapy and and tried to just like look inward and realize that yes the past relationship went in the wrong direction because of someone else's choices but you always contribute to that right there's always two people associated with that um 
And, you know, why did I seek that out? Why did I seek that person? You know, all those things that probably more people should do, including myself. And we're both big believers and kind of looking inward. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like probably a lot of that work like led up to me being emotionally open Mm -hmm. enough to kind of meet that moment, which was one. Yeah, and, and maybe not something that happens had I not mm-hmm. had I not done that work. Yeah, totally. So, like, All right, it's my bedtime. Goodbye, beautiful yeah. girl. Exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He was extremely closed off the first time, or the first handful of times I met him. But this this last three years later, it was like a whole new person. Yeah, so cool. It was really neat. Yeah, yeah. So first, you know, what first impressions are is probably kind of an odd question because. It's like, we feel like we knew each other, but we didn't really know each other. And we really didn't know who we were, Mm -hmm. like as individuals, Mm -hmm. probably until later on in life, um, which I imagine lots of people go through. But yeah, so our first impression was kind of like the true version of who we were, not the the version that we knew Mm -hmm. earlier in our life when we were still kind of figuring out who we are, who we were. Well, and the craziest thing about us reconnecting was Tegan was our daughter was born mm-hmm. six years to the day that we reconnected. Whoa. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's crazy. Which we put together after the fact. September the 10th. Yes. Uh-huh. I know that date. You do. I do. <laughs> That's so cool. I love it. Well, I mean, I could totally, I could like go into the mushy gushy love story, but... Thank you. And we will segue into your own births into this world. So we'll Mm -hmm. rewind, play it back. And, you know, this was a little homework to think about it. So Mm -hmm. whoever wants to go first. And you guys are doing really beautifully, by the way. Like, (laughs) I had uh, a fear of, like, a tandem, you know, Uh (laughs) a husband-wife, a partnership, and, um, you know, who's going to talk. But you guys are doing so great. So let the organic nature flow. Um. It's working. (laughs) I, I'll probably go first just because I think mine will uh, probably be more succinct. So I don't know a ton of details. Um, I was emergency C-section. Um, cord was wrapped around my neck. Um, so I don't know if there was a, and it was, a, it was obviously a, a hospital birth with mm-hmm. being an emergency C-section. I was the fourth, so I'm the fourth child. I'm I'm the baby of four, um, yes. which I'm pretty sure I was an accident. Um, <laughs> Wait, so did did you ask your mom like in the past week about this or no? This I, is just from so my mom. Um, my mom has been a labor, my mom's a nurse. Okay, as is her mom and her mm-hmm. her mom's a nurse as well. My mom has spent um, considerable amounts of time on labor and delivery, wow. and so she kind of she kind of has an affinity and, mm-hmm. and love for birth as well. Mm-hmm. So they've talked about it a lot. And my, I mean, we, my mom's a very medical person, mm-hmm. so we've had this conversation before, and she kind of um, romantically will will recant it at certain times of like you know. You're my baby, and you were emergency C-section, and um, what about the others? What about your siblings? I don't know their birth story, honestly. Yeah. Um, I know them because I asked your mom about all of them. All the time. I figured you would, which is why I figured I would. Chiming in. Yeah. Yeah. So mine's, I think, pretty succinct. Um, I don't know a ton of details. I just know a very basic outline. 
And you were the only section, though, that yeah. she had. I think all the rest were vaginal. She had parts. other, her other three were unmedicated hospital vaginal deliveries. Yeah. Wow. Oh, mm-hmm. So stuff. She was a young mom, too. So her first, she was. I think she had me at like 24. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. she had Sarah, your oldest, at no, 18. No, maybe I, I had to be like 26 or 27 then. Yeah. She's either 18 or 19. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Awesome. Which is very similar to. To my mom's age, yep. too. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Wow. So, um... But she's the oldest. I'm the youngest. Okay. We're the oldest. Of four. What was, oh, of four? four? Yeah. Oh, wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. But what was your... Like, what was the scenario of when you were born? And What do you mean? Like, where was your family at? Like, um, where were they? So, we grew up in Central Oregon. Uh, or I, I guess I was brought into this world when we lived in Central Oregon. Uh, my grandparents owned a dairy farm in a place called Powell Butte, mm-hmm. um, oh, which Powell Butte now has like destination resorts, but it was yeah. not. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a hard farming community. I mean, there was like a church, a stoplight, a, not even a stoplight, a blinking light, <laughs> um, a store, and then a K through eight school. Um, and so my grandparents owned a, uh, a, a pretty sizable dairy um, out there. And my parents owned, or we lived in, the house that was next to that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was born into kind of an agrarian life. You know, my my grandparents were um, dairy people, and my dad did farming and dairy work. And how many cows? Just um, like I think it's it's oscillated, but I mean, I think at their largest, I think they had three hundred head. Wow! Um, Oh my gosh! So awesome. I mean, it was a, it was, it wasn't an, an it wasn't like an industrial ag mm-hmm. operation. It was still probably what you consider today a family farm, which mm-hmm. is really rare. Yeah. Most of those uh, went away. Um, but yeah, they, my grandparents uh, lived on that dairy farm for a lot of years, and um, yeah, I mean, that I was, wonder were they home birthed on that farm? I wonder. No, um, my grandparents had a dairy in Newburgh before that. And this is like, God, maybe 50 or 60 years ago, long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, beside an orchard, the orchard that my grandma Mac owned, mm-hmm. and my grandma Mac owned that orchard until she died um, in, in Newburgh, yeah. Um, and your grandma had four kids. My grandma Mac or my grandma Annetta? Annetta. Annetta, yeah, she yeah. did. Um, so, you know, we kind of, our roots are like a very kind of big family, agrarian. Um, and for a good portion of our our young, my, my very young life, I was raised on that dairy farm mm-hmm. and um, can remember like, you know, going and feeding cows with little barrels full of malt, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, I would fill it and then I would have it tip over like 12 times on the way to feeding the cows um, and not feed them very much. But, you know, I have, I have kind of fond memories of that. Um, and then my parents split and we moved, um, to Primeville, which is also mm-hmm. a very kind of, um, in- industrial mm-hmm. agrarian woods product, um, community. And that's where, you know, we lived for a portion of our life and then we relocated to Bend. Um, and my mom was, Pretty much a single mom after my parents split. Wow. Um, but 
for the most part. And yes. all four of you were with her? Not all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, my, uh, my oldest sister would live with uh, my grandma for a period of time, and my brother lived with my grandma for a period of time, and um, yeah, life was probably a little bit more complicated. Well, I mean, I think everybody's family's complicated. So, totally. <laughs> um, nothing's linear. So at times we all did, mm-hmm. uh, and at times we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on. Cool. And Brent? Hmm. How did you come into this world? <laughs> My uh, mother was 17 when she graduated high school, mm-hmm. and her parents got her a trip to go to Hawaii for her senior trip. It's my favorite story. How <laughs> <laughs> did I forget? <laughs> yeah. Besides Kona snoring in the back, yeah, this is incredible. Right? And Kona snoring in the back is also incredible. But yes. Our black oh lab. God, this is amazing. Yeah. So she flew to Hawaii for her senior trip with a couple friends, and my dad just so happened to be stationed on the big island as a marine lifeguard, he was in the Marines, and so he was posted up on the beach doing whatever lifeguards do. Which is not much. <laughs> Stare at beautiful women and, you know, so watch the waves, mm-hmm. uh-huh. past time. So they, they connected on the beach, past numbers, then met up at a club later that night. Danced all night, lots of passion, lots of fun. <laughs> My mom went home a week later and found out she was pregnant, like, within the following, you know, four or five weeks. With you. With me. Oh, my God. Hello. Yeah. Nice. Uh-huh. So then they obviously stayed connected. She called my dad, said I'm pregnant. You know, you're the only person I've been with. Like, yeah. So my dad was very traditional in the sense that like well then let's you know let's try and make this work so mm-hmm. he flew her back to Hawaii and most of my gestation and everything was in Hawaii she had the greatest pregnancy since my dad was in the life I was a lifeguard they swam all the time mm-hmm. and you know just that island life mm-hmm. it was great mm-hmm. yeah. it's happy and sunny in there for you exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> Which I naturally feel drawn to. Yeah. Like, in a, and just... I was conceived in the Bahamas. Real? Just drop that little mic. So you know. <laughs> so I know. <laughs> yes. I know that, yes. Yes. I do think As you're wearing, like, a palm <laughs> jumper. Yep. Take me away from it. You can't. Yeah. I just can't. So, yeah. My parents moved from Hawaii to California, like, two months before I was born. Mm-hmm. And... So my dad got a place where all of his family is living, where they lived in Petaluma, California. And he was one of five. So all of the brothers and sisters lived in Petaluma. And so I was the first grandchild to be born on both sides. Wow. So on my dad's side and my mom's side. And it was, it was unplanned, but it, there was a lot of excitement around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of life was like the birth of a love. I mean, because right. your parents are still together, right? They're not. Oh, they're not. No, but they. But you were the. I was the, the first of four. The first of four. However, um, my later brothers. So. 
myself are half brothers. Yeah. So okay. my myself and my sister are full blood, and then my parents split when I was probably three and a half. Oh wow. Mhm. And then my mom remarried, and she had two more boys. Oh wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where was that in California? That was actually in Oklahoma. What? So when my mom and dad split, she met my dad, or my stepdad, up in Washington. He was in the army up in Fort Lewis. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's originally from Oklahoma, so we spent a lot of my childhood bouncing back and forth between Washington and Oklahoma and Alabama. And then eventually I made the decision to move in with my dad. Years and years. So it's your bio dad. Yeah. Okay, that's where it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. putting it all together. Okay. Yeah. And bio dad's here now. Yes. Oh bio dad and and stepmom who, I have I've been blessed with two incredible moms. Like she's oh. been in my life for. I don't know since I was seven. Wow. And it's so funny because she always says, on my birthday, she's like, "You were the easiest birth. <laughs> you just." <laughs> knocked on my door I opened it and there you were ready to just do life that's together that's cool yeah. I so. haven't had a birth story on the podcast like that yeah. quite yet right that's cool yeah wow mm-hmm. so honey thank you for sharing that is so see, I, I thought I knew Brit so well she's a <laughs> friend of mine you see um, cool well um, and so my little snippets in there oh I guess to the the tidbits about like your you know your gestation were you born in Hawaii no I was born in California California. yeah they moved back a couple months before I was born was it vaginal birth was it yeah so she also had a unmedicated natural birth and she out of so our our mothers are (laughs) both nurses but they're very similar in the fact that they both had four kids very young. Very young. Mm-hmm. All, besides Casey mm-hmm. being the section, um, or belly birth, she, they both had natural mm-hmm. vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> There's actually a lot, lot about our moms that are very similar. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it was interesting, and we can get into this later, but it was interesting when we decided to make our plans for our daughter coming into this world, Mm -hmm. the things that we heard from our families being strongly in the medical world, you know, and the conversations (laughs) we had to have with them about why we reached this decision. And Mm -hmm. I also think, as a side note, I think the conversations that we had and some of the responses we got were actually surprising in the positive mm-hmm. that um, I didn't th- I didn't think that either of our mothers would be as receptive um, to the idea of home birth. Honestly, mm-hmm. it took some time. It did. Mm-hmm. I mean, but candidly, it took some time with myself mm-hmm. um, of yeah. doing research. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so. I don't, I don't view that as a negative. I just view that no. as like people <clears throat> wanting to feel confident. Right. And, and, you know, I view the world with eternal skepticism in a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of areas. Right. Yeah. And so I know that there's a ton of people, especially, you know, both of our moms have a medical background. And so a lot of the times it'll be like, show me the data, Yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and unless you can, then 
the skepticism remains. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's bad. I just think it is. No, yeah, it's a very contemporary human mm-hmm. reality. Is that we we just love data. You mm-hmm. know, we just love it, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's totally one very logical way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of data brings comfort for people, or you know. Totally. There's some people that find more value and meaning in drawing inward and feeling intuition and, you know, having different experiences. And some people are very data-driven and find a lot of comfort in that, and that's cool, too. Right, and that's what you do with your clients, essentially, is, like, using numbers and data, you help alleviate stress from a financial, right? Isn't that sort of what... Um, Yeah. In, in some regard. So I work at Merrill Lynch and um, private wealth advisor. And I mean, if you could, if you could sum up what we, what we do or kind of how we serve families or institutions, it's, it's essentially solving complex problems, mm-hmm. right? And that can be, it can manifest in a ton of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most of the time, the most efficient way to do that is do a ton of research, Right vet out as many variables that you can try and account for like exogenous events that are unaccountable for. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and kind of once you've exhausted that process, you lay down a plan that you think is the most sensible that aligns with the most of your values. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you can most of the time apply that to almost everything in life. (laughs) Um, the problem can be is that sometimes data is hard to get. Yeah. Or data is unreliable. Um, the great thing about birth is that that's not the case. Yeah. You just have to go and search. Yeah. <laughs> and you just have to be willing to, you know, if you if you have a conviction that data matters, then you either have to be willing to go do that research or you can't complain that, you know, you need the data and you want that to have conviction, you know? Mm -hmm. I think this is a great way. Yeah, let's segue. So we're going to just do a little jibbity jumpa do. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us like how you came to support the decision of having a home birth? Yeah. So Britt, I I always knew that it was something that she was interested in. And so it's not like, it's it's not as if when we discussed it and she brought the idea to me, that it was just this shock. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what? I, ne- I, I never would have thought that that was the thing. Um, I figured you were probably going to bring that up. Yeah. It was one of those things that like, yeah, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, and my hesitations were that I'm not a medical expert. I have no medical training. I have zero. When I took sciences in school, I took computer science. I took physics. <laughs> I mean, I took... You left the bioscience out. I never took a bioscience. (laughs) Not a single one. Awesome. Right? I took uh, every uh, economics class, uh, econometrics that you can imagine, Mm -hmm. right? But never once did I take biology. Mm -hmm. So, believe it or not, you can graduate with a bachelor's of science without taking biology. (laughs) That's wild. Which is wild, but it's it's 100% true. So... um, and you have always been really excited about this episode. <laughs> yeah. So I own that fact that I that I that I don't that I don't even have basic building blocks of medical knowledge. And so, you know, for me, I have to rely on you know, I have a really strong command of like statistical mm-hmm. 
modeling and application of statistical mathematics. And so from, from my standpoint, it's easier for me to look at large sets of data and feel comfortable with that just because it's what I do often. Yeah, it's a language you speak. Right. Where if I, you know, if I go read like some peer reviewed study, like I don't even understand what the title means, let alone (laughs) if I read the body of it, you know, and it's getting into jargon, like I'm Googling every word. Mm -hmm. So that's just not an efficient use of my time. Right. (laughs) Nor will it teach me anything. So I, um, when, when we started down the home birth path, she introduced the idea of, um, a home birth and using a midwife. And so kind of the first process was, is like, okay, what kind of midwives are there and what are their certifications and what are the ramifications and how do we cover this with insurance? And you know, what happens if we pay for it and then we have to go to the hospital and, you know, kind of mapping out, Mm -hmm. I call it like a decision tree, right? So like map out every possibility. And then even if none of those happen and it's just linear, you understand the possibilities that can unfold, um, which was really important for me because I, I didn't really know what we were getting into. And so we researched midwives and, um, but while we were doing this, We'd already started our care at the birth center. We did. You're right. Yes. The, the genesis to receiving care started at the birth center as like a, a way to meet each other halfway mm-hmm. um, was... With where I was at currently. Right. Because yeah, right, I knew right. from the beginning I wanted a home birth. Yeah. Unequivocally. Right. Mm-hmm. Like no question. Mm-hmm. And then Casey took some time and so we decided to start at the birth center which we were both comfortable with for a while mm-hmm. and then slowly it was like well, why don't you read this or mm-hmm. why don't you watch this documentary with mm-hmm. me why don't we just go meet with a midwife which documentary have... oh my or gosh which ones uh... which ones uh what did we watch the business of being born that was um, one of them what did that what's that anime one Watch some other oh, anime yeah, one. The Farm Midwives. Yes. Um, there was another one that I love, and it was it was a documentary based out of California, and it was done by people in the medical field who choose home births. Yeah. yeah. No worries. Let me look it up. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, so it was kind of a process for me to arrive. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the things that actually helped me was meeting with Colleen. Yeah. Um, so Colleen Forbes is a midwife and you know, again, I'm a naturally skeptical person, yeah. right? And she, do you guys love each other? Are you and Colleen? I feel like I love Colleen. Yeah. I yeah. feel like, and I feel like we I, get along well yeah. because neither of us has an aptitude for bullshit. Totally. And, and sorry if I'm not supposed to cuss. You can um, use all I'm, the I'm actually doing pretty good if we're 31 minutes You're in doing and that's the first curse word that I've uttered. I know. Come on. Give me some. <laughs> give me some. Um, uh, we have a coffee cup in the in the <laughs> cupboard over there that says my second favorite f word is fall, <laughs> um, which she got for me. I had to get it. So um, yeah, I, I think meeting with Colleen helped a lot because Colleen was very direct. Mm-hmm. She didn't have any interest in selling the fact like mm-hmm. that you should use us. It was like, look, if you want to work with me, mm-hmm. great. Here's how we work. Mm-hmm. I'll explain everything. You should have zero pressure. If you don't want to work with us, no problem. Go work with McKinsey Willamette or Peace Health. They're great. Mm-hmm. Or and, hear other midwives. Or hear other midwives. Mm-hmm. She yeah. had zero. And, and I appreciate that so much because she's confident enough in her craft that all she was there to do was like, look, I'll facilitate any, any research you need mm-hmm. and any data. 
you know, and, and my concerns were, you know, infant mortality and what happens if this medical event happens, which I've heard secondhand and I know nothing about. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have a niche in serving a lot of specialists within the medical field. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, specialty surgeons mm-hmm. and a number of different fields that... That deal with, like, the oh, fuck moments. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so they deal... Or even stories from his mom, who was on the L&D for 10 plus years, mm-hmm. of, you know, they see the worst of the worst. Right. right. And you so, know? you know, the more that I dug into it, the more that I realized, to kind of go back to my roots, is, like, they had a they had a sample size bias that all they got was really shitty cases. Yeah. That's all they saw, right? Mm-hmm. And so what do they have? They have a premacy bias. They have all these biases built in. And not because they're doing anything wrong... Mm-hmm but because they have an anecdotal experience set that drives their viewpoint and their beliefs. And, you know, if you take, there's tons of data from, from Western Europe that has a much higher consumption of midwifery and essentially shows lower infant mortality and and lots of other things. Not that I'm, I'm not an expert in it by any means, but just the things that I was concerned about countries that use different systems other than only medical based deliveries usually have better statistics than us, Mm -hmm. right? Whatever the reason, whether it's because we're statistically overweight in the country or we have these problems, who knows? Mm -hmm. But there's no line that they have better outcomes than us. Mm -hmm. And they do it differently. They use a lot of midwives and and their midwives are built into hospitals or medical facilities, not as much home births. But um, yeah, I think kind of moving through those things gave me a lot of confidence. And then the more conversations that I had with my mom, it was, <clears throat> it was interesting to watch her move mm-hmm. from being, <clears throat> I would call it comfortably skeptical mm-hmm. to pretty, um, pretty excited mm-hmm. for that process of a home birth to unfold, mm-hmm. you know, and, and she got there by doing her own research mm-hmm. and going and, and taking the data that we gave her and saying like, hey, what do you think about this? And the more that she looked into it, the more she's like, I think it's a great idea. And she actually went and talked to midwives in Bend. Yeah. Like home birth midwives in Bend. Just That's to be why like. we have wealthy. Right? <laughs> they have some great home, life, home birth midwives in Bend. Yeah. 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 That's but it cool. Was, yeah. It was fun though to have that first visit with our midwife because I knew. With Colleen. I felt very grounded in what I was hoping to have happen for our birth. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of sat back because I just knew I needed to, I needed them to make a connection yeah. and for him to feel comfortable. Yeah. And we met with other midwives. We met with the backup potentially because yeah. our original midwife was going to be on a bike trip. On a bike trip. <laughs> yes. So she's like, I would love to work with you guys. However, I have this scheduled right around your estimated due date Mm -hmm. so we met with another midwife um her backup in corvallis Mm -hmm. loved her as well like well if if it doesn't work out to work with colleen then we'd love to work with this other midwife so it just felt it felt like a really natural progression into and a really easy transition too Mm -hmm. because we were at 24 weeks when we transferred care from the birth center to the midwife and some you know i think there's other elements to why we transferred care you know, there's this, there's this experience now in medicine when you go in where it's like, it kind of feels like those fast chess matches. <laughs> the, time, the time starts and like they come in, it's like, how fast can I get done and get out of here? Yeah. And I've been with certified nurse midwives. Right. Yeah. And, and I thought that the ladies 
they were probably doing the best that they could. But just kind of the phonetic pace yeah. that stuff would unfold when we walked in, mm-hmm. it was a little disorienting. And like, I'm a person that operates at a very high cadence, yeah. like maybe in a way that I probably shouldn't always. But <laughs> just some sandbags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And <laughs> to bring you to the ground. Yeah. I'm the same way that I have a lot of love. <laughs> I think that that's a challenge for a lot of people though. And they, that was not the energy we needed yeah. when we would go in for visits um and it just happened enough to where we were like god is this like is this gonna be how birth is to where they're like you know shit we need to get this baby out because like i got lunch in 15 minutes that was kind of the feeling that we got and we had heard great things about the eugene birth center we had yeah i'm not saying anything negative about their process other than just it felt it felt a little faster it felt more clinical yeah and more fast paced. Right. And it was like, as first time parents, we walked in and they were like, well, tell me what's going on. Instead of, I mean, like, it's nice to share your own experience, but mm-hmm. I was hoping for more of like a... Here's what's happening. Here's yeah. Let me hold your hand yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you're experiencing this, that's totally normal. Like, mm-hmm. most moms, when they come in at this part of your um, growth or wherever you're at in your pregnancy, like, this is normal. And, you know, they were responsive, but it... It felt medical. It felt medical. And Colleen yeah. felt like Colleen felt like she met us where we were. Mm-hmm. And whenever we had a medical question, she was always extremely competent to address it. Mm-hmm. But there was always kind of that element of empathy. Mm-hmm. And and you know maybe we would have got there with the birth center, but it just felt like you know they had a lot to do. And um, it's such a different atmosphere, right? I mean, you're talking about a business. You're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, there's like a cleaning service that comes yeah. and there's multiple people working on the floor and there's, you know, there's charts to be done and all these things mm-hmm. and phones to be answered. Whereas when you have a homework midwife, mm-hmm. there, there's just like a lot of that is not there. So right. they can afford literally, you know, to spend more time caring yeah. for the clients. And, and our, our meetings with our midwife was very much, and her assistant, we loved her assistant too, she was fantastic. Yeah, Tori's awesome too. Was very much like whole person centered. It was like, not just tell me what's going on in your body. It's like, you are about to become a parent for the first time. Mm -hmm. What are you nervous about? What are you fearful about? What are you guys having conversations about? Where are you guys at in your partnership? Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't just all about the pregnancy. It was like, let me, let me kind of like, come around you and like help kind of like guide you in this way or like post questions to you that maybe you haven't thought about mm-hmm. yet and planning for being parents for the first time or in planning for birth and planning for postpartum which is super vulnerable time because you have no it's idea what the hell you're doing no idea yeah oh and you think you do which is the worst thing <laughs> well, and even like seriously and i haven't mentioned this yet but before getting pregnant i had been a trained birth and postpartum doula. So I had experienced birth before. Mm-hmm. I had been to one previous home birth, but my other experiences supporting women and families were medical. in the hospital. Yeah. It was very medical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the majority of my exposure to that. Mm-hmm. But it's unlike anything when you're experiencing it yourself, or even if you have like the educational background of what birth is, what to expect, it's never... What ends up happening, right? Mm-hmm. There's totally. curveballs left and right, whether it's emotional, spiritual, physical. Mm-hmm. 
there's no way to fully prepare. It's this human element. Yeah, Yeah. hugely human. Yeah. And so we just felt it was unlike any other exposure to anything, and I don't want to say medical, but like just in preparing for this ginormous transition Mm -hmm. and such a big life event, I've never felt more supported more confident, mm-hmm. more on the same page with him and just our care, like the people that were going to be with us. Mm-hmm. It was unlike anything I think either of us like had experienced before. Yeah. I think it, and, and I think it met needs. I didn't, I didn't, and you didn't know that we would have, mm-hmm. um, in ways that we probably didn't expect were even necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that one of the one of the challenges with the birth center is not that they're not great at medicine, it's that they don't maybe have time to kind of meet the emotional vulnerability exactly. and needs that you typically well, at least we had. I don't know about other people, but we had as as new parents. I mean yeah. Maybe other people got it figured out. It's pretty across the board. Yeah. <laughs> from, from my experience talking yeah. to other, at least other dads and, mm-hmm. and other moms, it's like that, that feels like such a vulnerable time mm-hmm. that just having people that are willing to engage and kind of give that not just medical expertise, but kind of knowledge yeah. and wisdom was lights out. Mm-hmm. Well, and one final push to get us to look elsewhere was our birth center had a strict cutoff. If you went past, mm, yeah. if you went past your estimated due date within a week, you were transferred to the hospital. And you induced. still receive care from the midwives, but just in the hospital and be have a medical induction. Wow! Which for me, we were I, worried about. I knew the stats. I knew that most first time moms go into labor forty one plus three days, mm-hmm. and. There was, I kept coming back to that. Mm -hmm. So I think intuitively I knew that like that was going to be our story (laughs) and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be that woman who had to like, had no other choice, Mm -hmm. but that was the path that we had to take Yeah. because that was the guidelines. That was what, how they could practice. And so, yeah, even if they wanted to do it, it's not like there was, there was no optionality there. It was, this is, this is a hard cut. Yeah. So I think between the research, the that was a big push actually. It was, yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. coming back to the documentaries, the why it's called <clears throat> Why Not Home. Oh yeah, that's oh, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So watching the documentaries, meeting with our midwife, and then having this sense of this feeling of like this isn't this isn't the path we want to take. Like there's something our story is going to be a certain way, mm-hmm. and there was this feeling that we've got to switch it up so when did you when did that first when was that seed planted in your head because you did go over yeah so like when did you start to think like I think I'm going to be a later like almost from the second I found out what their transfer like okay like when we talked to the birth center midwives Mm-hmm. And then we found out that the transfer rate was close to 80%. We also were, were not entirely sure on gestation. Uh, I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. I was like, so if we dial it back. <laughs> so we had yeah. our first ultrasound. Did we have a 20 week ultrasound and we didn't have an 11 or 10. So we didn't have an early ultrasound, which mm-hmm. has a higher, this is total layman, non-expert. 
we didn't have an earlier ultrasound have a dating ultrasound that would have a a stronger um, indicator set for when the true birth date would be mm-hmm. right we had one later and so the window kind of kept moving and part of that was that Tegan was like growing like a weed and was a massive baby mm-hmm. so they, <laughs> they thought she's maybe further along right. um, so we, there was just some of this confusion that kind of you know, again, we're first-time parents. We don't know. Right. We don't. We've never been through this. So we don't kind of know how her body's handling it or mm-hmm. going to handle it. Well, we only went off of what the birth center told us when they thought, like, they went off my last menstrual cycle, mm. and so they set the date. And so when we transferred care to the midwives, everybody was just rolling off that original date. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't until I was progressing pretty far past due that we were like, maybe we should revisit mm. your dates. To really determine whether you're actually this far due, like overdue, or yeah. was something yeah. kind of faulty. Some wiggle room there. Yeah. But I knew my mom, my mom went past due with almost every single one of her births. Mm-hmm. There was only one birth that was early, and it had to be early for reasons that my, my brother was kind of showing signs of distress, and there were other causations to get him here earlier, mm-hmm. but... All the other three pregnancies, she was late. Hmm. And so when I found out that they had that firm cutoff, and I knew the statistics of, or the data for first-time moms, mm-hmm. I just knew I didn't want to be that 80% statistic to have to transfer to the hospital. Right. And it was pretty early on that it was like, this is starting to spiral into an anxiety. Like, yeah. Where'd the transfer, didn't the transfer data come out because the birth center was talking about closing? And they did close. Yeah, and, did, yeah. And, and so they released that transfer data almost as kind of like a rationale for it and it mm-hmm. turned out being like, oh, that's mm-hmm. concerning data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were yeah. some other things. It was like an illusion of yeah, like we don't need what this because get, and then what actually unfolded. Yeah, almost. I think the rationale was we don't need this because almost everyone transfers anyways. Yeah. Okay, well that was not our intention. Yeah. Um, totally. So yeah, there were some other reasons that kind of pushed us, and and again, not to say anything negative about the birth center, just pushed us down a different avenue and a different route because you of what wanted we wanted as an outcome. Different. We did yeah, we wanted totally. something different, and you found that with. Homebirth midwives with yeah. Colleen and yeah, that's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are jumping, but did you like when I invited the um, thinking about your own births? Mm-hmm. Did you guys have a conversation about your births either together or with Colleen, like when you were pregnant with Tegan or before you were pregnant with Tegan? And how do you think that like your birth stories into mm-hmm. this world affected Tegan's? Mm. I don't know if we ever talked about my birth story with Colleen or... We did. Did we? Okay. Yeah, because we actually invited your mom because we knew we were going to have your mom at the birth. Oh, yeah. So we invited Casey's mom to a prenatal so she could meet Colleen. She was at your birth? Yeah. So Casey's mom was at her birth. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Birth stories. Coming I know. Soon. I know. Well, I guess we can roll there. Yeah. We can totally roll there. So it wasn't like we weren't... We didn't really go into our birth stories like super in-depth but it was more like a family history like what do you know about your birth you know what's your perception of birth Mm -hmm. what's leading you toward a home birth so we covered those little Mm -hmm. things but I think we had an intention for Tegan's birth and it was delivered in a way that was just 
incredible to reflect back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let her rip. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Yeah. Tell us the story. story. <laughs> yeah. And dad's perspective, we're really excited to have dad's perspective <laughs> on this. You're the first dad's perspective on the Rain Studios podcast. No pressure. For her? <laughs> Yeah. No? Right. Yeah. Somebody's gotta go first. Somebody's gotta go first. Yeah. yeah. You wanna co do this or? Yeah, we can co do it. Yeah. Yeah, so we kind of we I had a really pretty good uneventful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I was I had just left my career as an elementary school counselor, which mm-hmm. was a very stressful job. Seriously. I can only imagine. And then transitioned into being a bar three instructor. And got certified like five days after I found out I was pregnant. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it'll happen like kind of around the same time. Mm -hmm. But so my pregnancy looked like, you know, I had a lot of time at home. I got to rest as much as I wanted to. I wanted, I got to walk our dog Kona all the time. I got to exercise. I got to eat yummy foods. You you continue to teach. Yes. Yeah. I was teaching probably 10 classes a week and then taking a couple. Yeah. Wow. So I was very active my my first pregnancy, mm-hmm. which kind of spiraled in the negative sense later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some there's some unintended consequences to the level, well, the volume of R three that she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I had some difficulty around six months with my pelvic floor and developed a cystocele, wow. which is basically like where the walls that are structurally like around the bladder weaken Mm -hmm. and so it basically prolapses down and forces the urethra kind of down and out Mm. so I was told almost instantaneously like I could not do squats I had to be really mindful of how I move my body and had developed a pretty intense diastasis recti so like the splitting of the abdominal muscles So the rest of my pregnancy, after having to stop teaching, then just morphed into swimming every day. Nice. And Which now we found out is also not good. Well, post-birth, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was great. Like, I, we took a hypnobirth class together and preps for baby, and cool. I found that swimming was the best way for me to, like, kind of get in the headspace of, like, I would basically meditate and visualize doing laps in the pool and like kind of drawing in, like thinking about all the women in my life that I knew had given birth, like really thinking about like the wisdom that it takes and the, the, the willingness and the priority to open to all possibilities basically. So it it just was a really great place for me to go every day and just kind of be in that mind space of prepping for birth. It was huge, Mm. which I don't think I would have prepared that way other than like my own meditation outside, like at home. But that sounds really beautiful and delicious. Yeah. Like amazing Mm -hmm. for all you pregnant mamas out there. (laughs) Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Get in the pool. Get in the pool. Get in the pool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're also like, whether you're aware of it or not, you're like very connecting with the physical ambiance of baby inside. Yes. Right? Baby inside is like a little aquatic mm-hmm. mer creature in there. And so when you submerge yourself in water, you become very connected in a, on a physical uh, plane to the mm-hmm. baby, which is so cool. Yeah. It was really great. So, nice. I mean... 
Tegan was born in September. Her due date was on the... It was on her anniversary. Of, well, the right? original due date was oh, on her yeah. anniversary. But like which is? Which is August 31st. Oh, wow. Yeah. However, when they did the... When they went oh, yeah, off they of dating... They moved to August 21st. They went back to August 21st, which was the day of the big eclipse. Do you remember that? <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. That was so cool. Yeah. So that was our due date. <laughs> which came, came and, and went. <laughs> yeah. Came and went. <laughs> So, long story short, we were a day short of being three weeks late. So we were 42 weeks plus six days. And a couple of days leading up to that, we'd been, you know, our midwife ordered biophysicals for us to go check on baby, just check fluid levels. Stress test. Did Stress you do test. That? I did. Yeah. I, yeah, we chose to do it just because we knew we wanted to stick with the path of delivering at home mm -hmm. and just kind of keeping things calm because mm -hmm. obviously if you've had a baby before you know how everybody around you gets very everybody's in anticipation right everybody's mm -hmm. ready for it they're asking you constantly have you gone to labor yet how are you feeling and then with how far past we went then it was like this nervous chamber of nervousness and anxiety and you know so it was like one of the ways to kind of appease the people around us mm -hmm. to like reaffirm like we're safe, we feel comfortable, we're mm -hmm. good. Um, so we ended up having two biophysicals the last week and a half of being pregnant. And then the like the day before the last day, like before the cutoff day, we went <laughs> we met with our midwife and she was like, Okay, we need to get this baby going. She had palpated my belly and she's like, I'm gonna guess your baby's at about nine pounds. And at this point, we didn't know who she was. We didn't know if she was a boy or a girl. Mm -hmm. And so we did all the things. At that point, we, had, we were, you know, having sex every day. We were, I, you know, I was walking nonstop, um, eating pineapple. Mm -hmm. um, all the tricks. All the things. <laughs> and so finally she said, I want you to do, I want you to go hike. So I went and hiked Ridgeline. Came home, had a really nice dinner, and we did, she had me go on this cycle of the breast pump mm -hmm. to get try and get that oxytocin kicking. So I would have the breast pump on for 10 minutes, off for 20, on for 10, off for 20, for like, like two come hours. Come on, little bug. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then to kick it all off, we did castor oil Whew. at nine o'clock at night. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then let the games begin. Right. So his mom was driving over from Ben. We were like, hey, we either are going into labor tomorrow for sure yeah. or soon because if we're not in active labor by tomorrow, we have to transfer. So our midwife was going to have to have us transfer to do a medical induction in the hospital. So everything aligned. His mom got there that night before we went to sleep. <clears throat> and we woke up. I woke up at around three. One. It was like one thirty to from the beautiful effects of castor oil. Mm, had to release. Yep. Made my way downstairs and had my moment and laid on the couch because I knew this wasn't gonna be just like a one bathroom trip. Yeah. So fell back asleep. It was almost like an hour exactly later. Woke up. Had another experience, laid down, and then had my first. I heard that too. 
Is it bad? So dripping. Oh, we're so silly. You're like at the apex moment. Here we are listening <laughs> to dripping sounds. <laughs> She's not even close to the apex moment. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but so then I had my first feeling of anything. Yeah. Call it a contraction, call it a wave, call it a surge. You know, it just, it all started to happen. And from the very first one, it was consistent. Every four minutes, they just came and went, came and went. And at first I was like, you know, you're not used to the sensation Uh -uh. as a first time mom. Uh -uh. So it was kind of like, do I, am I having those like crampies to where I need to go back to the bathroom? Mm -hmm. Or is this like... There's something else. What the hell is I'm hoping this yeah. is, right? Mm-hmm. So I laid on the couch, happened a couple times. I wasn't able to go back to sleep. So then I pulled up my timer and started tracking. And I was like, sure enough, this is the same feeling. I don't need to use the bathroom. I'm feeling a lot of tightness. There's some form of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Totally manageable. Mm-hmm. But laid there for a while and then got up. And got my birth ball and just sat on my birth ball for another couple hours by myself. His mom was still asleep. I didn't wake Casey up. And it was probably around 4 o'clock, 4 or 5, that it was so sweet. Our dog, Kona, came downstairs. Like, she could sense. She She knew. She came downstairs and she jumped up on the couch and just stared at me. Mm -hmm. Just laid there and stared at me while I sat on the birth ball and was keeping track of everything. So did you, I mean, I have to ask, did you have... In those moments, mm-hmm. were you like relieved, excited, mm-hmm. like thrilled, terrified, like all the feelings? You just like, I mean, literally the clock was ticking mm-hmm. like a movie. I mean, that's like. Yeah. I think that in that moment, I was so relieved and excited. Yeah. Yeah. And I got the, you know, like, did you ever get the oxytocin, oxytocin shakes? Totally. So like when it first started to happen, I was really shaky. Uh-huh. And it was. Kind of disorienting, but like, I'm like, is it just because I'm so excited? Yeah, to me, it was like, yeah, it was like game time. It was yeah, like before, exactly. Like right before I like, you know, went and performed. Or right, exactly. Very similarly. Yeah. So, there had been such a buildup that mm-hmm. when it happened, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, mm-hmm. thank you, baby, for listening. Like, mm-hmm. we've got to get things rolling. Mm-hmm. And I was really encouraged by the fact that it was so regular it was happening so regular it's beautiful so i called our midwife and just said hey just so you know this is happening like these are how often these are happening this is what i'm doing this is how i'm feeling and she was at another birth like wrapping up at an- another birth wow she's like i'll be there in a couple hours but she'd been there all night yeah 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 rockstar yes right? <laughs> and of course like when she it was the best moment ever because when she answered the phone she was like she knew. it was like 4 30 in the morning yeah and she's like hello yeah you know she's like i i'm hoping that you're calling to tell me and yeah. i'm like yep it's happening yeah. she goes oh yes yeah so like she was excited then that just like piqued my excitement yes so she's like i'll be there in a couple hours and so, a little backstory. I had tested positive for group B strep. Mm-hmm. So, Colleen had given us some data to look over as far as like how we could treat it mm-hmm. or respond to it. Mm-hmm. So, the options on the table were do nothing. You could do a hibiclens, almost like a douching of hibiclens mm-hmm. for every four hours you're in labor mm-hmm. and like early labor. 
until after, after a certain period of time. Until your water breaks, and yeah. then no yeah. more. Oh, right on. And then, or she was able to facilitate bringing antibiotics and doing an a intravenous drip. bag, yeah. yeah. So we did the research. We decided the HIBA cleanse was the way we wanted to go. So around 5 o'clock, 5.30, I woke up Casey and said, hey, this is what's happening. I have to do my first round. So, like, he helped me. Team douche. Yeah, team douche. <laughs> in the back yeah. of them. Yeah. Oh, We're so shameless. We don't yeah. care. I know. I mean, God. Yeah. Let the games be. Right? So then that woke his mom up, and I called. So my mom, not my birth mom, but Vicky, my mm-hmm. stepmom, who's been my mom for forever. Mm-hmm. She, I called her, and she was ready. She came up to the birth. Wow. And we called my friend, who was going to take pictures for us and document the whole thing. So by 7.30, our... Our family team was there. Colleen and them showed up closer to like 11. And I was around 4 centimeters at 11. And things were manageable. It was fun because the birth tub was set up. Mm -hmm. All my affirmations were up. My friend brought all the snacks. (laughs) So we were just like, we talk, talk, talk in between. Like, we're good, we're good. (laughs) And then I would just kind of go to my little spot and Mm -hmm. rock back and forth and... You know, move my hips and just have my time. And then within a minute and a half, I'll be right back. Just picking up where we left off. With wow. Which birth tub is a fancy way of saying it was a feed trough with a, <laughs> with a plastic sheet over it. Beautiful. In our living room. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. Oh, I, it, I it's want to see the photographs. It's yes. 100% a feed trough for <laughs> cattle. Genius. Yeah. So you, can, you blamed it up for me. You oh, put, it was it was high, our, high rent feed trough. He put our camping um, cushions underneath <laughs> the plastic. And then like, so it was like created nice a plastic comfy. liner. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so smart. Yeah. It was a bougie feed trough. That yeah. is bougie. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Damien keeps wanting to get a feed trough for like a pool. Yeah. Like, why not? They'd actually yeah. work really well. Yeah. It's really yeah. Smart. yeah. Yeah. So I, it, it's always interesting, you know, I feel like being a dad with birth mm-hmm. um, or being a partner, being a spouse, I guess you don't have to be a dad, just being a significant other. And I, I think that that's a challenge simply because you're not totally sure what to do, right? Like you don't know what is being supportive and what they're going to need and you know, what works and what doesn't work. And so I think throughout the day, just trying to find ways of like, okay, well, how do I make you as comfortable as I can Mm -hmm. during an uncomfortable event? Mm -hmm. You know, no, no matter what, um, this event's going to be marginally uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. like, how do I, how do I help alleviate that? Or if I can't alleviate it, how do I just kind of come beside you and, you know, be there for you during it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I guess that was kind of the approach that I took that I'm normally the type of person that wants to fix a problem, mm-hmm. but it's not, you know, it's, this isn't a problem and it doesn't need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So in the absence of me being able to do kind of my default action, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to be there for you. And you know, whatever happens happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that made the day kind of move through in a fluid manner. Mm-hmm. You know, she just did whatever felt right and what mm-hmm. she needed to do. And, um, were you like in charge of the water of the, for the birth tub? Or like I had already filled that stuff up. Okay, um, yeah. I'm a very like task 
We filled it up, but we weren't allowed to get in the birth tub until a certain time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Which she ended up being in the birth tub for like 15 minutes or something. No, it minutes. was an hour. Was it an hour? Oh. It was an hour. And then it was like, I need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> this, I, I am over this thing. <laughs> and she didn't get back in, which is fine. Totally. But it went from being like, <laughs> I love this thing to like, give me the what is going on? And, and it's one of those things that just flips quickly and you, you uh, we were like, you just cool, yep, whatever you transition a little bit? I thought it was. Okay. So it was like this fall summit where I was like, yes, I'm in transition because I started, things started to pick up really fast. Yeah, you were a ways from transition in yeah. hindsight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was anticipating mm, getting in the water to be like serene and really... Um, Alleviating. Mm-hmm. That was not my experience. Yeah. It was just warm. I wanted it. <laughs> I wanted it to be so bad, so bad, so bad. But Me it just too. wasn't. So <laughs> I started to get hot. Yeah. The water wasn't too warm either, but I started to like get hot, and I started to feel pressure. So I was afraid. I didn't want to go to the bathroom in the tub, mm-hmm. and so I got out of the tub to use the bathroom. And while I was in there, I, st- I had my first round of vomiting, mm. and. My water broke oh, nice. or, bur- you know, it started to trickle. So at that point I was really excited cause I'm like, I'm in transition. This is great. Yeah. And so when I walked out, I looked at Colleen and I was like, so I'm in transition, right? And she goes, Oh honey. Oh honey. If you she can goes, say those words. <laughs> she goes, I don't think we're there yet. Oh. <laughs> and looking back, I was so not there yet. Mm. So like, I, so with the, yeah, it was, it was still kind of feeling good even. It was picking up. Yeah. And like I said, from the very beginning, it was very consistent. Mm-hmm. So I, they were coming every three minutes. Amazing. Yeah. So they kept trying to get me to eat something. And what time is this? You know, like. This is like probably around. Three or two. two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I labored downstairs for a while and things started to definitely pick up. And Colleen said, okay, so where are you planning to have this baby? Mm. Would you like to be downstairs or would you like to be upstairs? Mm-hmm. And at our other house, our upstairs had our master, mm-hmm. everything. So she goes, if you want to go upstairs, she goes, the next break that you have, I want you to sprint up the stairs. Love her. Yeah. So she's like, we got a break. And we just beelined it up the stairs. And that was such a feat, let me tell you. And by beelined it, she means it, it took a while. <laughs> it was it, right. was it was like a glacial. pregnant woman in labor. It was glacial. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Beeline has a totally different <laughs> Well as you know, when you choose a different position or you get out of your rhythm, it brings on those surges like with a force. Mm-hmm. You know? So I got up the stairs as quickly as I possibly could If I could, could have muster. just picked her up and carried her up the stairs without hurting you her. You actually asked me, do you want oh. me to pick you up? And Colleen's like, no, no, this yeah. is part of the trick. I had, it, <laughs> I had everybody around me, like, making sure I was braced. Yeah. But got up the stairs, and then things definitely picked up. I got to be at a 7. I did do, that. I did do checks. Mm-hmm. They finally checked me. I was a seven at probably five o'clock and Colleen noticed that there was the anterior part of my cervix was starting to swell Mm -hmm. and her head could not get past it. So I kept kind of like just kind of pressing into that Mm -hmm. then swelling started. So what we ended up having to do was 
during a contraction, I would put start to push, and Colleen would manually try and lift the lip over her head. Mm-hmm. So we tried that for probably three surges, and then she ordered me to go sit on the toilet. Mm. Which was great mm-hmm. and hellacious all at the same time. For sure. It did work. It like, you went like, to the bathroom. No. Again. Oh, she just had me labor. Yeah, just she had me labor. Yeah. I sat backwards. There's so. so many victory births on toilets. Like, yeah. again, listeners, please don't hate. Just clean your bathroom so yeah. you can feel like it's a true throne and have your baby on the it, toilet. <laughs> it brings your baby down. Like, totally. it, did, it did the most... Mm-hmm. It if did you the think most about work. even like, and you know, we do have a, a man in the house, so it's like um, a lot of people get offended when, you know, someone will equivocate having a baby to like having a large bowel movement. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you, pretty, don't, but, if you yeah, but if you don't get offended by it and you really just think about it as like, you know, it's the only thing you have really to relate to, mm-hmm. to like pushing something out. But there is like um, sort of a muscle memory or mm-hmm. like a comfort. You know when you go into the bathroom that you are going to open and release something. Right. You do it every day, multiple times a day. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is this cool like psychosomatic relationship with that. Mm-hmm. I just, I think that's so Well, funny. that's honestly how I also prepped during my pregnancy mm-hmm. with my hypnobirthing was I would practice my breathing and visualizing having bowel movements. Yeah. Oh, cool. Because that was like, our instructor said that that was like one of the best things to do in prepping for it. So, like she said... And she's an older lady who like was just doing it because she loved it. She had zero like... She was a rolfer. She did... Oh, nice. Yeah. So she knew... I mean, she was still doing the hypnobirthing classes because it was like a passion of hers. Not because she was still working in the field, but she had... Right. She had done it for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. That's cool though. That's really cool. I like that. So I just bounced between the toilet, the bed, and the shower... I just kept, those are my three places. Mm-hmm. And the shower felt amazing. Yeah. The shower was great. Yeah. So it was probably two hours that went by. And then Colleen checked again and that lip still was super swollen. So she gave me some Arnica. Oh, nice. And then did another round of the manipulation. And it kicked things. It pushed us where we needed to go. Wow. So we, I went back to the toilet and found myself starting to have that uncontrollable urge. Like my body just started to like roll into anytime I'd have a surge, it would start with this just intense, almost like a heaving. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. feeling of just like, I can't control this. Uh-huh. You know, like hard to breathe through just because it's so, it just control, it, it's just so. It swallows you. Yeah. It's just your body knows what it's doing and it just started to do it. Yep. So you just kind of got to be along with it. And like you said, focus on opening and trying to relax and, you know. Right that. Yeah. I can feel it as you're talking about it. I'm just like. Yeah. Right? <gasps> yeah. So that started to happen and I was probably on the toilet for another 20, 30 minutes and then basically crawled to the bed. <laughs> nice. To all fours, and it just continued to happen. And before I knew it, Colleen had her gloves on, and she told me to reach down and feel the head because it was she was starting to come. You out. were on all fours at this point. I was, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And so, and the thing that I got so excited about was she was like, "Okay, Victoria, turn up the heat." 
Mm. And in my mind, I knew that that meant I was close. I was so close. And so Casey's there next to me. My mom was my chapstick and hydrator. She was up on my face. (laughs) I was behind you. Okay, Casey was behind me. Mm -hmm. I just remember my mom would put chapstick on my lips and feed me my straw with my recharge in water mm-hmm. and put the cold wash washcloth and um yeah I started to like actively push in with what my body was already telling me to do mm-hmm. and before we knew it um I never felt that ring of fire that people talk about mm. I nice. didn't it just like she was on all fours I was everybody get on all fours yeah that's it's great great posture it was <laughs> yeah that narrowing of the frontal hip points mm-hmm. the broadening of the back of the pelvis <laughs> maybe we'll just just slide out yeah even if you're a monster baby like Tegan was even if you're a monster well, I knew <laughs> she was I, huge yeah. I can't believe it yeah so I Remember pushing. Are you on all fours on the bed or Mm -hmm. on the bed? On the top of the bed or like off the side of the bed? On top of the bed. We have photos. Oh, yeah. And videos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And hope. So I'm on all fours and I remember pushing and her head came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember this urge, almost like this animalistic urge to like move, like to almost like walk away, like take a step. Yeah. I was like feeling this urge to just like kind of get away from it. And I remember calling saying, no, Bernie, you got to lean into this. You can't run away from this. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you're there. And so I pushed her head out. And you can... And then you pushed again. <laughs> and I... So I was behind her. And I caught Tegan. Mm-hmm. And um, we, ha- we had not found out whether Tegan was a girl or boy. And so, you know, when she came out... First of all, she was ridiculously oh, huge. I mean, she was... So much fluid. It was like a top... Yeah, there's a lot of fluid. <laughs> um, Wait, so was she like... It was like head and then like shoulders baby? Like It was like head and then whole baby came yeah. out with just a boatload of fluid. An ocean. <laughs> um, well, when the head came out, she like... She like bubbled out. She was like... Her cheeks her popped mom. out. So if there's this video... Her cheeks like popped out, and just you can see her like lips. And she's the when as a baby, she had the biggest, fattest cheeks and biggest lips. And you know, you could see that she was like kind of needing to get out. And so Brett pushed again, and T popped out. Uh-huh. And um, you know, we kind of pulled her out. She had did she have an arm that was kind of in a weird. Wait, I'd have to go back know. and I'd go to have to go back and look at it, but <laughs> Brent was up front. She yeah. didn't know. <laughs> she she came out pretty pretty quickly after we got um her head out. Um and and then I handed her through Brit's legs to to Brit and told her, you know, we have a Tegan, which was our girl name. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and we were crying and, and it was it was I always say this to dads who are considering home birth, it's like you know, some dads are like, oh, well, you know, I don't want I don't want to be down on the business end. It's like, man, what a childish way to look at mm. it. You have such an opportunity to have possibly like one of the most salient moments you'll ever have mm. of connection with your wife and whoever your child's going to be mm. and is at that moment mm. to like deliver your child. And not that you're taking over medical responsibilities, but just that act of like being a part of what mm. she's just went through for so long was 
like it's just seared into my mind in such a positive way that um, I'm always a little disappointed. I think when when people look at that and kind of miss that opportunity, mm-hmm. or they joke about it. Well, you know, I and I and I think a lot of it comes from you know kind of this. Um, you know, I don't want to be too mean about it, but like kind of a childish view of like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a vaginal birth, right. And not kind of seeing the beauty in it and missing the fact like, yeah, there's blood and all sorts of fluid and all that stuff. But that's just the noise, right? That's the, also the whole, what we are. Totally. You know? We're big bags of blood We're big and bone and muscle. And, and we make bowel movements. You bet. Mm-hmm. Multiple totally. Times a day. It's just yeah. like, it is funny. I mean, I've joked with Britt about this, but like, you know, we all talk about our meals really gloriously. Where did yeah. you get this meat? Where did you harvest these potatoes? My goodness, these greens are so spectacular. But, like, no one talks about what it looks like when it comes out or totally. how it feels. But, you know, science is also now proving that, like, the quality of your bowel movements say a lot about you. You know, the flora. Absolutely. The things that you exist bet. in your... And so it's yeah. like... So, yeah, I mean, we're missing out on so much. And not that I think that we should spend all of our time talking about each other's, you know. But you're missing an opportunity. (laughs) You're missing an opportunity to be, yes. Part of something that's maybe will happen two, three times in your life. Maybe. You know, and, and not everyone gets that opportunity. I mean, there's tons of moms that their birth goes in a different direction and they end up having a C-section, um, and, and not in their control. Mm -hmm. And, and so if you, if you do have that opportunity and you're blessed enough to have the ability to deliver your baby vaginally, then like, if you're a dad in your home, Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) if you're a dad, like don't miss, don't miss the window, Mm -hmm. you know, be, be as involved as, your partner is comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people aren't comfortable with that and that's fine. But I, for us, it was a special moment. It was really mm-hmm. cool. Did, what did you like when you were observing Brit going through all this transition? Like, what did it feel like physically for you? Like This is going to sound a little weird. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think, I think hard things and, there's no way to say this without sounding a little callous, but like, I think suffering can be a good thing for people, right? I think it makes you the best version of yourself. And I don't mean suffering the fact of like someone being tortured or something um, like that. I mean, when you do a really hard thing, like give birth, I feel like, and you come out of that, you're a better version of who you were before that. Mm -hmm. Right. And for no other reason than you learn a lot about yourself, you go through something that, you know, a good portion of women go through, but, um, but the experiences are different, right. To, to deliver a baby vaginally at home with no zero pain meds. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that using pain meds is a bad thing, but for, for us, you know, I kind of looked at that as an opportunity for her to like grow as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, was she, was that a hard thing for her? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But that was also a hard thing that she wanted badly Mm -hmm. to go through and experience and work through and be successful at. And her, in her view, success looked like a vaginal birth at home without medical intervention, like with respect Mm -hmm. to pain meds. Mm -hmm. And, and even if that wouldn't have been what happened, that, that doesn't mean that it's a failure, but that was something that she in her own mind had decided like, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. So for her to get that and be able to go through and, you know, move in the, 
moving the lip over the head. I mean, that was not a real fun process for her. I mean, that was pretty, I mean, we glossed over it, but that was really painful for her. Um, and you know, she had to work through that and, and overcome that. And so for me looking at things like that, that makes me, I'm, I'm proud of her when she, and I still to this day, I'm proud of her. I didn't, it didn't hurt me to watch her kind of go through that. Mm-hmm. Right. It was more like you can do this, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm proud of you. Keep going. You're doing great. Mm-hmm. So you had some like instinctual, like trust for the process she was going through. And Damien also yeah, I believed in her. Like, yeah. He, he was like, I don't know. He's like, it's, it's weird. Like I just knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, it was long and drawn out, and mm-hmm. I kind of was like, "Wow, is this really, you know, is this still happening?" But <laughs> this is taking a while. This is taking a while. Yeah. But like, but there was like an inherent intuitive trust from the partner, and I just mm-hmm. feel like that's a really cool piece. That it's like to hear that you weren't like biting your nails in the corner, like, "Oh my god, wait, this isn't," or that? running away from it, or running away. Yeah, yeah it's, it to me, it's really empowering. For women and for their partners, like for people to listen to this episode and hear this side, it's a very, it's, thank you. Yeah. You know, for sharing it and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, um, proud of both of you, you know, in going through it and, and sharing it with this honest and open and willingness way. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and to share those feelings because it does, the level of intensity is so much, you know, it's so high. It's like mm-hmm. probably the most like, would you say it was, like, the most intense thing you've ever watched Brit go through or one of the most intense things? I'm not sure that I can think of another thing that would be as intense. Right. I mean, it's... Um, well, you know, and being the person that's coming out on the other side of it, like, having, like, in my own experience feeling like I conquered that, mm-hmm. like, it's something that I set out to do and I prepped for it. And we spent a lot of time doing it and assembling our team that believed in what we were doing and feeling the unwavering support and trust from him Mm -hmm. and just letting me do what I felt called to do. It was just like, you feel like you can do absolutely anything. Mm -hmm. You're like, anything that can be thrown my way, I can tackle. Yeah. Because it was such a monumental experience Mm -hmm. like there's nothing comparable to it and we both have done like I grew up doing athletics and him and I you know he's done an Ironman a couple Ironmans and we don't shy away from pain if you will or just discomfort hard things things. challenges challenges so I don't know coming out of it though it was nothing I felt so much respect for what my body did and so much just yeah I can do anything Mm -hmm. this was huge Mm -hmm. yeah totally Mm -hmm. yeah I I listened to um like one of the reasons I do this podcast um is because of a the ritual podcast and I don't know if you guys have heard about this one but he's an ultra runner and who is it ritual he's this awesome podcast guy at this point um but um, he interviews a lot of endurance athletes, mm-hmm. and like listening to his stories and I and listening to the interviews, like all of the endurance athletes, it sounds like they're going through birth. Like yeah. when uh, a spe- like people who hike, like um, or you know, 
you don't say hike Mount Everest. What do you do? <laughs> climb. Climb. Climb Mount Everest. I mean, you know, like these intense, uh, you know, 100-mile races and, mm-hmm. you know, climbing huge mountains and these big feats. Like, it sounds like the stories they tell are almost exactly like birth. And there's mm-hmm. a moment where you come to this, like, crux of, like, am I going to die? Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to make Will this break this? me? Yeah. Will this mm-hmm. break me? Yeah. yeah. And and so, to, to me, it's like women, biological women have this story, um, built into them if they so choose to bear children. Mm -hmm. Men have to seek this same thing outside of themselves, which is why you see mostly men are doing things like climbing Mount Everest and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing, um, endurance, like, hundred mile races and things like that. Like, and, and I'm not saying anything that's like, you know, I mean, gender is just such a difficult topic. So with all the respect in the world, I am saying men and women right now. But um, it's interesting and cool and just next level that women have that story built in biologically and that mm-hmm. men find that story outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. But they do come to this sort of like understanding of it through birth. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it excites me so much to have this podcast and to hear stories like what you all just shared and to have the female and the male perspective because mm-hmm. it's I think that there's a lot of our society has been like you just said really eloquently like lots of times you as want to come in and fix a problem yeah and solve something and there's nothing wrong with that like that's beautiful mm-hmm. that's inherently very a um, divine masculine thing and like thank god that men are wired like that <laughs> you know um sometimes sometimes it's also pain in the ass but exactly but i mean and just like everything right there's Mm -hmm. this sort of yin yang you know light dark like it will you know the sun is going to go down Mm -hmm. tonight Mm -hmm. but it's going to come back up and like you know Mm -hmm. that's just the way of the world but it's in these in this moment of birth it's such a huge aha moment and for someone like you even who you know for a living now you problem solve and for you to have that intuition to step back and like Mm -hmm. let you know, will allow Tegan and Britt to like ride this wave. I mean, that is just so inherently human. It's just like, you know, arms up, like, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. like this is a step in the right direction societally that like you can be um, a progressive family. You can, um, you know, be a Morgan Merrill Lynch mm-hmm. and you can still support home birth. It's mm-hmm. not just this um, sort of granola crunchy kind of like uh, yesterday, um, fantasy of how birth used to be totally Um, absolutely and i don't you know i mean i wouldn't view our family as granola or crunchy by any stretch (laughs) of the imagination you know and and it's interesting when you when you look at kind of the holistic experience i think it was an it was an unexpected bonding experience for her and i Mm -hmm. in the fact that I had spent a lot of previous years doing like ultra endurance events. So I'd done Ironmans, I'd ran lots of 50 Ks and, nice. uh, in the mountains and, you know, Pacific Northwest has kind of these unique sets of offerings that, uh, you know, there's other places in the world, but there's a, there's a huge culture of consumption and me and buddy, my buddies and, and even our families would go mm-hmm. and kind of make these destinations of like super hard races in very remote places. Awesome. Orcas Island. We did, we did Orcas Island and yeah. stuff every year. Yep. We, so we'd go and we'd run the Orcas Island 50K, which, you know, if you go and look at 50Ks, it has over 8,000 feet of climbing. It's in wow. a super remote uh, 
part of Washington. I mean, not that remote, but... Um, it's incredible. It's not Seattle, <laughs> right? Um, no, it is an island off the coast, and it is... And it's amazing, it's what, right? Like an hour, it's like an hour and 15-minute ferry ride. It is, yeah. yeah. It's and, it, and it's mm-hmm. super unique. I mean, you run through these state parks, and, you know, there's, like, these lakes in, in kind of the high mountain areas, and so you know, we found me and my buddies kind of found ourselves and, and a lot of us are cut from kind of very similar cl- cl- uh, cloth, very driven, very a type, um, can be intolerable. Um, <laughs> and so the Especially ways, together. yeah, the ways that we would kind of sand down our edges is we would go and find hard things to try and make us the best version of ourselves. Mm. And so cool. it's an interesting thing that I spent a lot of years doing those things. You know, Britt went and ran the Orcas Island race as well um, and kind of migrated towards that path of, of ultra endurance events where her going through this kind of, I, I felt like it was a bonding experience of me getting to watch her go through something like that because most of the time she was watching me mm-hmm. um, or like when it. you're racing you don't see each other the whole way right you know like yeah you go to checkpoints yep and you meet up say you're doing okay do you need to be high you know, do you need your hydration do you need most of the time it's like no i'm fine I'll yeah see you next. and you see them for maybe two minutes and then they're off yeah. yeah like this was like an experience that we did together mm. where he was there the entire time and i got to watch you yes you and go, there was go through this. never a time the entire time where I didn't feel him beside me or behind me. Mm-hmm. And I never felt anything other than just like, you've got this. Mm-hmm. There was no sense of, of should I be worried about this? Like, is this mm-hmm. normal? It just was like, you've got this and we're going to keep going ahead. Mm-hmm. And like from start to finish, it was 18 hours. Mm-hmm. So it was a longer, mm-hmm. the longest event I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, I've never thought about about it that way. Wow, and that's so cool. It's so neat how this happens. <laughs> um, I had no idea that this was my ideal couple, and we might have to like have a second <laughs> round. Well, there. Wait, this couple is pregnant again. Yes. So this will happen again <laughs> in February. Um, yeah. I I just like, but like I've been dreaming of having this conversation with an endurance athlete. So, Casey, can you actually <laughs> tell me about your experience when you ran a 25 or a 50K across I... Orcas Island? Like, wow. So, mm-hmm. these literally to me are that is a man's version of birthing himself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to like jump up and down. Tell me about that experience. Tell so, either that or even watching you finish your Ironman was like I would actually the say, most, yeah. one. it was the most it. like transformative. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, after running a, a lot of 50 Ks and you know, I'm not like, I'm not, when I say endurance athlete, it means like I am a amateur everyday person <laughs> whatever when i pulled up the man was just finishing from a run it, I was like, but it doesn't mean like i'm not a competitive endurance athlete. let's just make sure that we have that out there um so i think just after i kind of got into to finance you know my job has a lot of stress um and a lot of um I would just say intensity mm-hmm. to it. And so, you know, to kind of keep my, and there's, there is an expectation, which is a reasonable expectation, but there's also, um, 
probably a professional standard of in my role and specifically within our, our team, um, you know, being even keeled and steady hand and, uh, level is there. I mean, it's absolutely instrumental, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's analogous to a surgeon walking in and like, do you want a surgeon walking in? Like, Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, like where he's amped up or do you want a surgeon to walk in, be calm? Mm -hmm. Hey, what are we dealing with today? And just be level. I would prefer a surgeon to be level. Mm, you know, I would not want them walking in and just like, Hey, how you doing? You know, like amped up. It's just not the tonality you want. And so mm-hmm. the way that I found to kind of seek that and keep myself level and the best version of myself was usually like very high volumes of exercise. And, and so I started chasing, uh, the idea of doing a full distance Ironman. And I don't know if you know what an Ironman is, but you swim two and a half miles, mm-hmm. you bike 112, and then you run a marathon, mm-hmm. right? And um, Like it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I am not a fan of heat. And so when I was researching Ironmans, I chose one of the earliest Ironmans in kind of the season in the calendar, right? And so there's an Ironman, or there, at least there was, um, I don't know if there's still an Ironman in Coeur d'Alene, but there was an Ironman in Coeur d'Alene. And the year before um, Britt and I got together, I... I I did my first Ironman. And so I went up there and um, actually got interviewed by um, ESPN about kind of my life story because I used to be, I used to be pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I used to be a really big guy um, and kind of started losing weight and chasing endurance goals as a way, again, to kind of shave down those edges. I feel like a lot of endurance athletes have in some capacity, have an addictive personality, mm-hmm. right? And so you channel whatever your addiction is mm-hmm. into either an unhealthy habit or a healthy habit. Yeah. And even the healthy habits can be unhealthy if you do them enough. Totally. <laughs> so, you know, I found, and I, I do have a, like a very intense personality and, and I don't, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's addictive. Maybe it is. Um, my wife's smirking. I like to call it attachment. Yeah. Yeah, we'll. Yeah. We like to joke that like that's his girlfriend is like how my, we my shoes and my bike. Yeah, his shoes and his bikers are his other girlfriend. His other, yeah, mm-hmm. his girlfriend. So, but yeah, attachment. That's a good one. Attachment. I kind of started chasing um, endurance as a way to 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 live a healthier, live a lifestyle that I wanted to live, mm-hmm. um, and then also to kind of be the version of myself that I wanted to be. And, and it, it felt the easiest when I would go for long runs or long rides. So fast forward, I had done my first Ironman and was training for my second Ironman. And I was going to do Coeur d'Alene again. And my brother-in-law was going to do it with me. And, and when Britt and I started hanging out was in September and October was when we initially started hanging out, which was kind of in the depth of my training cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, you know, even during the winter when I would have to go on like long, awful runs, I mean, (laughs) like we'd go run or I'd go run 18 miles and it'd be like driving rain (laughs) and 50, 50 to 52 degrees outside. And this is, this is when I knew she was pretty serious about me. She'd be like, Oh, I'll come with you. And she would, she would put rain gear on and headphones in and literally like ride the bike beside me on the bike path. And it's like. And I love cold weather. I don't mind running in the rain. It's no problem for me, but I, she does not like being cold and, and she's riding a bike, which is means she's not having to work as hard, which means she's not keeping as warm and you know, the rain's just driving. Right. And we're like an hour and a half into the run 
at turnaround point, I look at her and she's just frigid as hell, oh right? I'm like, how you doing, babe? She's like, I'm good. I'm great. Yeah. You, you know, some water? Totally, totally lying to me. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. She's shaking. I'm like, why don't you just, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And so she, you know, would come and go on runs with me, um, which before I'd never had, you know, I'd, I'd go and, um, train by myself in the evenings at night because, you know, it gets dark here at like Mm -hmm. five in the evening Mm -hmm. (laughs) during the winter. Um, and so she would come and ride with me and it was a really, it was a really cool experience for her to get to be there during that Ironman training. And then you're finishing like an ultra endurance event can be like a really emotional thing. Very, like a very emotional thing. And I'm not an emotional person, like almost at all. Mm -hmm. I, I, I probably have kind of teared up or cried maybe a handful of times in our entire relationship (laughs) and not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just how I operate and who I am. And, you know, I can remember kind of coming across the finish line and just like, feeling like an emotion and like an uh, oxytocin dump of just like joy. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and there's a picture of us hugging right at, like right at the finish line, right after over the fence, right after I've crossed and I'm a pretty heavy sweater. So I'm just like covered in sweat. (laughs) Um, cause I, my Ironman took me like 11 and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have like 11 and a half hours of just disgustingness on me. And, um, and she's gracious enough to hug me and like, just, uh, embrace and man, what a, what a cool salient moment that is. And when you kind of compare and contrast that to her birth, it, it's, it's, I kind of look at it as the same thing where, you know, never once was she like on the side, like, are you going to be able to like, Right. That never came out. It was like, just give me water. I'll be fine. Like I'm just head down tunnel vision, keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I feel like that's exactly how she was in birth. You know, I never wondered in my head, like, Ooh, can she do it? It was like, well, that mm-hmm. we're not even talking about that. That's not even, that's, I never that's said not even that. a discussion. I can't do this. There was one point in my labor right around transition where I was like, I can't do another contraction in this position. You know, like I knew you I had to switch to it up. Yeah. yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's, but there was never like, I and, can't do this. And mm-hmm. frankly, even, even in your entire birth, there wasn't even a lot of like, uh, this is, this is hard. It was just like, you know, you breathing and, and like kind of being within yourself. And I remember coming Other out than being the in that thing one that position. I said, the thing that I said constantly was, Wow. Like I'd come out and yeah, be like, you did wow. Say, you did say that a lot. There's, wow. It's on video of her being like, wow. <laughs> That's like, awesome. It's cute. Yeah. Oh my it, God. Do you know cute. that Beck song? Have you heard it? I don't know. He's like, wow. <laughs> oh my God. It's, you'll love it's it. It's going to have to be on my next it playlist. It probably should be. Year. I actually might have to like get permission <laughs> to use that song for this episode because it's so, uh, right? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of crossover. That's so it's like, cool. Then witnessing him finish that. It's mm-hmm. like when you compare training for that and then training for birth, it's like there's so many similarities. Like you witness this person with their tunnel vision of like w- what their goal is, what they want to be successful, and you're aligned with them. You believe in them. You want them to have that. You will do anything to help them achieve that. Mm-hmm. And that... that 
I did that for him and he was able to meet me for my birth in that respect. It's like we both had these very aligned ways yeah. of meeting each other and, you know, co trying to meet this enormous goal. Mm-hmm. And mine was birth and him was his was an Iron Man. <laughs> There's a good book, uh, I think it's by Ryan Halliday. It's called The Obstacle is the Way. Uh-huh. And uh, it... It, I I think it's a great. I listen to it on Audible, like most mm-hmm. books that I uh, go through. But it it's a really interesting kind of trip through how like adversity and challenges can be can be a great thing for your life, totally. right? And and that you know not to say that birth should be and have adversity, but like there's gonna be times during birthing that. I suck. It's physically you know? challenging. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's an understatement. Yeah. In a way that probably no one other than women and those that have went through birth can understand, right? Like right. you, I, I can intellectually hear it and regurgitate it, mm-hmm. but understanding it's different. Totally. And, and well, in the same way that I could not ever speak to running a marathon mm-hmm. unless I did it. Exactly. Yeah. It's totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Conceptually like, wow, that, that sounds hard. But like, yeah, at what mile, like 23 after you, I mean, I just can't even imagine like, yeah. what those, what, can you speak to some of those, like, emo, did, did you have emotional, like, breakthroughs or moments when you're running or when you're biking or when you're swimming, when you're just like, like, what is your mind doing? I, I think they're different. Um, I mean, swimming's. So when I still did it, there was mass starts mm-hmm. and mass starts means like 3,500 people line up on a beach and they fire a cannon Ooh. and you're out into a lake. Um, and you know, the lake, uh, lake's cold as hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's in June in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is pretty far north, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's even, so I'm not because of like training or just for some odd reason, I'm a really fast swimmer. So for me, you know, my goal was like, I don't love swimming in large packs of people. And the beginning of an Ironman is even if you're the best swimmer in the world is a panic attack. Literally for like four minutes, your heart rate will shoot to like 180 and you are just trying to not drown and hyperventilate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was the beginning of, of an Ironman is filled with like, tons of just nervous energy and not that I'm a nervous person, but there's just so many people around you that are like in weird spaces that it's like palpable. I mean, even standing on the beach, it's just like, it's a weird, it's like a crescendo of just, Oh my God, I can feel it now. Energy. It's a weird feeling. So the beginning is just like, there's so much that occurs. It just happens in a flash, Mm -hmm. right? Like, especially if you're a fast swimmer, like you're just, an hour goes by and you're coming out of the water and yeah. you're stripping your wetsuit off and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Right. You know, like <laughs> outer body experience. Good Lord, you know? Um, and, and you know, and then you get on a bike and you settle in and, and so Iron, Iron Man, you're not allowed to draft. And so it's not like road riding where you're in a Peloton and you're, and you're riding with a group and they're strapped. It's like, you're on a time trial bike or you're on a road bike with TT bars and you're by yourself mm-hmm. for anywhere from like four hours if you want to set the world record mm-hmm. or 
eight hours if you're like a normal everyday human that doesn't ride a bike very often. And mind mm-hmm. you, they're not allowed to use headphones. So they're all in their heads the entire time. There's yeah. no music. There's no like relief from like checking out to listen to music or mm-hmm. a podcast or a book on tape. It's like you, you are, you, you are, are disqualified you immediately if you use headphones. Yeah. Wow. And they, and they do that for safety. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's an interesting, it's a weird thing. You know, like when, when I was training and I would do like, I'll never forget this. I did a five hour trainer ride on the back porch of Sean's house. It was awful. I mean, it was one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. I didn't watch a movie. I didn't listen to music. I did nothing. Just for, stationary. For, for five hours. Wow. But the reason that I did it is that you, you kind of have to prepare for that like mental deprivation yeah. of like being alone and not, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. right? Like, what you see in the photo of the Iron Man is like not how the experience is. Right. Because that, that that's like a quarter mile or a mile where people are. Yeah. And most of the time you spend your your energy and time in the middle of nowhere with no one. Yeah. I mean you're the bike course is 112 miles, so you're you're 40 to 60 miles away from anybody for a good portion of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you for me the bike was a good time to kind of just like be in my element. It wasn't, I'm a very, I'm a very like metronome cyclist. Mm -hmm. I'm not a like super strong cyclist. I'm not a bad cyclist. So for me, it wasn't a bad time. Um, and my body was felt fine. So, um, I didn't really feel like there was any like significant moments. Mm -hmm. Um, but usually what happens is people get onto the run and like shit just starts to break down. You like, it doesn't matter how good of an athlete you are. You just like stuff starts going awry. And so, you know, both times when I had a marathon, um, I, I didn't know that my body doesn't react particularly well to gluten. <laughs> and so I was like pounding gluten, um, you know, and, and, and I was having really adverse effects. You know, I was vomiting and couldn't hold, you know, I was losing a lot of fluid and nutrition, which is like the exact opposite <laughs> Of what, what you, you want. want. Yeah. yeah. So it's cramping. Yeah. So a lot of it, you know, a lot of, if you go and look at a lot of DNFs, which is not finishing an Ironman, or people that kind of come off the rails, almost all of it's like GI stuff, mm-hmm. right? Where And it's in the run. Yeah. Where they start not being able to hold down food, like water or uh, energy drink or gels or whatever it is. Huh. And if you can't like take in fluids and take down calories, then like you're going to blow up. Yeah. I just, I mean, you could be, mm-hmm. you could be Meb and be like a world-class marathon and mm-hmm. still blow up. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, But it's body. sort of a math problem. I mean, right? Like if you right. go into a deficit, like you're, it's not going to work. It is yeah. a math problem. So much so that like I had a timer on, you know, I had a very dialed in system. Every yeah. 20 minutes, my watch would go off and I had to, I had to consume in that 20 minutes, I had to consume 300 calories every 20 minutes. Wow. Right. Or, or excuse me, 120 calories. So over over an hour, I, my goal was to consume between 350 and 400 calories, right? And you know that worked well for a while until it started not to. Um, <laughs> or you, know, you get fatigue from like you get flavor you get flavor fatigue, fatigue of just like the nutrition you have to take in for 
you know, 10 hours. I mean, think about it. Like, drink the same thing for five hours, and I bet you hate that thing. Every 20 minutes, every 40 minutes. So. And you're also running. You're running, yeah. Or cycling, or, you know, and you're, like, you know, weird stuff happens. Like, at, at bottle drops, it's like, you you get the flavor that you hate because mm-hmm. you're flying by at 23 miles an hour. And like, it's not like you have like, Oh, that's berry. And that's lemon. Uh-huh. you're just like, boom, yeah, I need that. And now. then you start pouring it in and you're like, uh-huh. I hate that flavor, but it's like, you're already past the aid station. Oh my God. So what do you do? You drink that flavor. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so there's all these little weird things that occur, but those, those little weird things, you know, I, I realize this after the fact are like little victories or losses mm-hmm. and they kind of add up to this like mental fatigue associated with it. So I would say like the second half, like the, 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 the latter 13 miles of the marathon, when you're, especially in Coeur d'Alene, you run out this lake and it's, you're by yourself, you're running away from the city. There's not very many people out there. It's mm-hmm. pretty remote. Mm-hmm. And then you have this damn hill at the end, which is actually a – it's a pretty large hill. And so you, you have to climb this and you're just like – No. <laughs> it's very defeating, <laughs> right? Sure. And And I remember like walking – you know, and there's people like being ambulanced away at the bottom and oh. during the hill – other people like crying, like do you see? Oh, like, you see everything yeah. you can possibly imagine yeah. unfolding. Yeah, it's it's incredibly motivating to watch and inspiring to watch, but then it's also like devastating. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know, they just especially when you see people DNF, you're like, yeah. you just spent so 15, 18 hours doing this, and not to mention like a whole year preparing. To totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, but they set it up to like really. There's definitely a mental, I mean, it's swim, bike, run, but it's very much like mentally taxing how they, how they orchestrate this race, like not allowing supporters to go certain, in certain areas of like the, like the, what do you call it? The race course. The race course. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a saying, you know, that like the race starts in the second half of, of a marathon and an Ironman, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's when you actually like stuff usually stuff starts to get hard right because mm-hmm. even when you come off the bike so many people around you and there's people yelling and it's like what does everyone do like if you run an eight minute mile like that person will run a seven minute mile the first mile off the bike uh-huh. Guar- almost guarantee it right, right? which is the exact opposite of what they should do right. they should run a nine or ten minute mile right you know because your legs are all fucked up you've been riding a bike forever <laughs> and so and look, I'm guilty of the same thing. Like yeah. I was supposed to run an 8:30 mile, and I ran like a 7:45 mile, telling myself the whole time to slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Like the entire time, I'm like, "You need to slow down. You need to slow down." I thought I was slowing down. Then my watch clicks over, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Mm. You know. And so it happens. It happens to everybody. But mm. I, I think that just those experiences of like little defeats and like being in solitude mm. is kind of. Um, it's an interesting thing that I, I feel like the great thing of it is it hardens you mentally mm-hmm. to be able to kind of go through those things and, and overcome them. Not everyone does, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's a good portion of people that just, um, you know, have a bad day. I'm not saying they're mentally weak, but they just, it just doesn't work. Right. And they, well, and then when you transition that to birth, it's like as the birthing person, you mm-hmm. are in solitude. You absolutely you are the are. only person yeah. that can do the thing that you, I mean, that you're set to birth your child. Like people can be around people, you, but nobody can do it. I felt nobody so supported. There was four or five people there, but you are in your own world 
doing the all the work. Yep. All the work. Yeah. All the work. That's why you know I always. It's always interesting to me the like terminology of like we're pregnant, mm-hmm. and you know we're due. I'm like. <laughs> I, I get it. Homegirl's pregnant. But I... Yeah. <laughs> she's birthing this girl. Great. But like, yeah. part of me calls bullshit on that, right? Like, it's just not true. You, like, yeah, you contri- you did participate in, like, the fun part, right? Um, or maybe, you know, that's not how the baby was conceived or IVF mm-hmm. or... There's lots of different ways today, yeah. but I think the... I just think that that's, that's, that's such a... That's such a PC thing mm-hmm. that is, frankly, it's a load of bullshit. It really is. And that doesn't mean that your partner's not there and you're not being supportive and you don't have a tax. But it's nothing compared, you know. It's like somebody saying, like, it's really hard to watch an Iron Man. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. But I will <laughs> say what he explained for, like, when he finished Iron Man and we had that... Five minutes where we hugged nonstop, mm-hmm. and he's crying, and I'm crying, and there's just like an oxytocin. It's a purely oxytocin, oxytocin dump. Yeah, no doubt. And yeah. we're just like so in the moment, so clued in, like plugged into each other. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened when Tegan was born. Yeah, Tegan was born. Everybody left the room. Our midwives had everybody leave the room. Mm-hmm. And it was just him and I and Kona and Tegan. And we we were there for 10 Kona minutes. Kona jumped up on the bed. It Kona was like magic. Up. Yeah. It was seriously. It was like magic. She jumped up on the bed. And we we just had that 10 minutes of visceral oxytocin and joy and a sense of accomplishment. And that was our first, our first like Tegan's first impression. It, it was our first moment as a family officially and it which by the way she loves snuggling in bed yeah <laughs> there's no she there's, loves it it was like the most ideal pristine moment ever mm-hmm. yeah I, I i i totally agree with you i don't think that we could have in our minds envisioned that it would be kind of as the emotional wave that it was yeah you know i i probably wouldn't have had the conception of what it would have been anyways. Um, but, you know, I I kind of compare what we had in our mind to like, well, what if we had to give birth at the hospital? Mm. And it, you know, like, it, it just, it could never be what it was mm-hmm. at the house. There's even no if it way was the cre- best. There's yeah. no way to recreate what we experienced anywhere else. And, and nothing against the medical aspect, but no. just the intimacy and the privacy and the ability to just have the quiet and calmness that followed her birth at the house versus I'll just call it the busyness mm-hmm. at the hospital uh, when they're doing hospital and medical things and, and mm-hmm. you know, God bless them for doing that when, when it's needed. But mm-hmm. when it's not, you know, I feel like you, you man, you, you miss out on a lot of that, those 10 minutes mm-hmm. that are priceless. Mm-hmm. And so transformative, right? Like there's uh, respect, trust, and intimacy are the three words that when Damien and I went to couples therapy and, you know, and um, he was explaining like, you know, this is the foundation of a relationship. Uh-huh. These are the words, the foundation. And I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Like, and when I think about those three words being at a birth, mm-hmm. like, 
Tegan was born in respect, respect of both parents, respect mm-hmm. of her, respect of the process, Kona, mm-hmm. you know, trust. Everybody trusted the process. Yeah. And then intimacy, that ability to do it together, ability to do it in the calm, in the lighting, in the, you know, mm-hmm. and just in the time, the respect of the time. And so I, I just love that you said intimate. And those words always come up for me because can you have respect, trust, and intimacy in a hospital? I don't know. Maybe. Um, actually, episode three of the podcast, you hear Kristen tell her story, and she does manifest that. Mm-hmm. Which is great, um, you know? You it wa- you is wa- great. You want that to happen. You do want that yeah. to happen, but you, you sort of, like, lower the bar, or, you know, like, the chances of getting respect, trust, and intimacy at the hospital are just so much yeah. lower mm-hmm. than the chances of getting it at home. Um, I think it's the default at home. It's the exception in the hospital. Well, and to see the whole circle come around of like, Tegan was conceived in our home, in our bed. She was born in our home, on our bed. She then was nourished in our home. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, it just is like... It just was so fluid. And foundational, yeah. right? Like, now that's your foundational story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's also this foundational role, mother and father. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like, really, it sets that incredible um, bedrock for, you know, and for the story of you guys, you know, becoming parents and now having right. another baby. And Well, and we so hope to... We hope that we're allowed the same experience or similar experience. We hope to be able to birth at home with this one. We want to include Tegan as much as possible in this birth because yeah. it is, it's laying the foundation for this little person and the foundation of us growing to a family of four. Yeah. You know, it's like, it just is, there's nothing like it. I see pictures, um, you know, like on Instagram and stuff of like, of families bringing the baby home and the child, like the, the child, like the Tegan age child, mm-hmm. seeing the parents get out of the car and like, here's this baby. But like, they weren't <laughs> a part of that story. And yeah. that, that seems, you know, and if it has to happen, all the respect. But right. like it does, yeah, for, for a child to be able to witness mm-hmm. their sibling come in. Mm-hmm. Um, Which probably how, that's how it's been. <laughs> forever. For almost all of human history. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> until about the last hundred years. Yeah. Maybe not even that. Maybe like 70 or 80 years. Right. So it's like, you know, the the the, the sample size of data of, of us just being humans around other humans and doing what humans do, which is birth and death and, you know, life and, and all these elements, now to it being like siloed mm-hmm. into, we, you can't see that. You know, right. that's, that's, that's too, that's too real. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying kids need to be exposed to everything. That's not what I'm saying at all, but especially birth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the more we've talked about it, it, it would just seem odd to have her unaware of kind of the process at all. Totally. Or some people who choose home birth sometimes choose to have their kids taken elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And for us, you know, we talked a lot about it. We talked about it with our midwife and... It just seems strange to be like, no, you leave our home to then welcome in your sibling when this is all of our homes. This is mm-hmm. a shared, it should be a shared experience, at least in our own experience. That's what we're hoping for. Yeah. And we hope that works best. Yeah. I mean, again, it's one of those things that 
you learn a lot as you go through it. Totally. So maybe that turns out to not be right. the process that we thought, <laughs> and that's entirely possible, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's life, right? Where you look back and you're like, oh, well, shit, that was a dumb decision, right? <laughs> that's our intention. That's what we're trying to recreate. And- yeah, we're just trying to make it so that, one, she doesn't feel excluded from the process and she doesn't, you know, we want her to feel joy and happiness and love towards her little baby brother, mm-hmm. not some feeling of like, well, I've taken my parents mm-hmm. or, you One, know. too, when she comes of age and chooses to, you know, chooses to have children, if she does one day, it's like we've already laid kind of the foundation of just like, this is what birth is. This is how you came into this world. It's trust. I mean, you can trust this, mm-hmm. you know, it's safe. You build your team. Or she'll paint us as a bunch of granola hippies. My parents (laughs) would be the opposite, right? (laughs) You know what's funny though is like at this age, because I ask the kids, you know, in our and Tegan and Wolfie play all the time. So I ask them and do you remember what it was like being in your mommy's tummy? And you know, do you remember what it was like coming out? And I mean Amelia said like she remembers, she's like, Oh yeah, I had a cup holder. I mean, like the kids say incredible things. I had a right? cup holder. I had. A, she Man. said she had a cup holder in the womb. Good job, that's what mom. She said, "I know yes. it was amazing." Grew a cup holder. I know, but yes. so, but their level of comfort and mm. confidence in the birth process is so much higher than ours mm-hmm. because they're so close to it, literally, like in time. Like Tegan is not even a question that you're going to do what you're, that you're going to have this baby at home naturally. Like that, she knows that she knows that from a cellular memory because Mm -hmm. she was born at home, but she knows that from like ancient memory. It's all she knows too. Architects. It's Mm -hmm. all she knows. Exactly. So like you really, I didn't want to get on your team because she's totally like, you got this mom. No big deal. You know, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. I think it also, you know, to circle back to the earlier point of like, hard things could be great for you as an, as an individual, Mm. you know, I think that that's an important lesson for her, Mm -hmm. especially as a woman to learn. Um, cause I don't always feel like our society tells women like, yeah, you go do hard things and like Mm -hmm. it's a message little boys get and little Mm -hmm. girls don't get in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, so we want her to be cognizant of that. We want her to be, we want her to see that it's okay Mm -hmm. to go through hard things and you know, you have those around you who support you and you come out the, the other side and great mm-hmm. things can happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Well, I mean, I feel like that's such a beautiful place to end. Um, and yeah, I just, I would, I'd love to, um, to have another round of this after your next babe or, mm-hmm. um, cause I do, I just, I feel like I'm also a, um, scheduled cesarean I was a schedule okay and um and I just I know that there are there are so many inherent similarities to those of us who share that root story and I was joking with Britt earlier I don't even know if I've joked about this on the podcast (laughs) yet like because I took a little COVID hiatus from the podcast okay so I know I just said I was gonna end but I guess I changed my mind um (laughs) and um the COVID hiatus is good though because one of my friends Elizabeth Taylor, who has a podcast out of New York, she called me out. She was like, I listen to your podcast, Rain. And it's not you. 
like maybe that's like New Oregon rain or whatever. She was like, "You gotta be real. Like you dropped the f bomb. Like I know you." And I was like, "Thank you, Beth." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I was really excited to have you New guys. Oregon rain. As if we don't use the F-bomb in Oregon. I don't know. I guess because I'm from New Orleans and then went to school in Manhattan. And she's like my Manhattan friend. So, Uh, yeah. she Not about Oregon. It was just like about like... I appreciate that she called you out about the lack of F-bombs. I do too. And that you then had us on. Yes. (laughs) Super legit. (laughs) No, but so I was saying that... um, Alien abduction. Something I've always wanted to talk about on the podcast. People are going to be like, click! All right, I'm done. But just bear with me for a second. So imagine yourself being born. You've watched T and be born at home. You know what that looks like. It looks like 10 minutes of bliss and then like a really great life after that because you have all this faith and trust and intimacy and respect that we've talked about. Take it totally to another scene. Your birth. My birth. We can talk about this from firsthand experience. You get cut out. Yeah. Not your choice. Violently. Yeah. Yeah. You get bright lights. Yeah. You get lots of hands. Oftentimes it's blue, cold. The stories of like alien abduction, right? Like you've heard these. It's a You think it's just people with cesarean? Yes. I They're do. like, hold on, I got abducted by an alien. No, baby, you just relive in your C-section. You're reliving yeah. your cesarean birth. I mean, but so I can only talk. It seems with... more logical than alien abduction. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Thank you. It does. It does. Not that I don't think there probably is an intelligent life, but I. I think there definitely yeah. is. Yeah. But I mean, for the amount of stories to have such a, it's the same. A lot of time there's like anal probe speech which they do to take the rectal temperature babies mm-hmm. at the hospital why i don't know it's not yeah. necessary but um yeah it just so like from a from one cesarean baby to another like i had an, i was an emergency c-section too so i'm sure i got like oxygen oh, and i had to have the umbilical cord cut out cut from around my neck mm-hmm. which i'm sure that you probably saw in one of those or all the documentaries that if there's an umbilical cord wrap you just simply unwrap mm-hmm. it. It's yeah. not a life or death. It's actually really common to be very common. Yeah, it's not even like an outlook yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. It might look, you know, kind of, but it's not. You just yeah. do, 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 done. I don't remember whether they cut it or whether they do do do. But mm-hmm. <laughs> no, they usually though. Like when you know when you when it's a cesarean birth, usually unless the parents strongly say like I want you to keep the umbilical cord attached, mm-hmm. like most hospital procedure is just an immediate cut i'm sure and transfer baby to i'm sure then it was like general care. anesthetic where it was like you're unconscious go to sleep we're doing what we're doing mm-hmm. I'm, i doubt that it was but I so mean, what was that 85 were they doing mm-hmm. we even have spinal taps at that point yeah I, but so what i want to oh, no. what i want to ask you is that like so if you see that as your root as that was your first impression of this world that is a highly um traumatic first impression of this world Mm -hmm. and to lead those of us on paths of tremendous attachment issues um, because you were taken from your mother instantaneously yeah put in a box likely Mm -hmm. you know um and experienced devoid of everything you felt previously Mm -hmm. um and that like i just have this quest to interview and hear more about like the intensity of the personality of the yeah. person who 
has been the result of a cesarean birth, the attachment, the addiction, like it's so common. It's That's almost every time. Unreal to mm-hmm. think about. Yeah, but it's, and then it's also so real to think about because, yeah. you know, um, that, that moment of attachment, the initial welcome to the world, mm-hmm. if you, if so, and we can use Tegan as an example, she trusted her surroundings mm-hmm. because her parents trusted them. Mm-hmm. She respected herself because her parents respected her. Mm-hmm. And she, each other. And each other. Yeah. And the level of intimacy. So mm-hmm. all of those things will be like defaults for her because that's, mm-hmm. this is my guess. This is my guess. And I will know? say she has seemed to be a very securely attached child very. thus far at three years old. You yes. know? Very so. confident, mm-hmm. very calm, mm-hmm. very, mm-hmm. A lot of that, so... Yeah, she also lives in a pretty safe world. Yes. She does. We have created, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. For sure. And so, and I'm, yes. Then Damien checks me on this all the time. He's like, you can't believe everything on your cesarean birth, you know? <laughs> and I'm not blaming everything because, you know, like, there was a lot of love in my family. There was, you know, a lot of care, multiple support, um, primary caregivers, like, Mm-hmm. Um, Causality is a hard thing, it, it, and that's especially not... with like the complications of how sticky and shitty life can be mm-hmm. with just the human condition, right? Yes. Meaning that like humans can treat each other in awful ways. Mm-hmm. You know, from a from a spousal standpoint, you know, at least in like my family, when my parents divorced. Um, you know, it's for good reason, right? And there's mm-hmm. a reason that my mom is a single mom, right? Mm-hmm. And so you could be absolutely right. And it's like how much of that contributes or what's the proportionality versus, you know, traumatic experiences in childhood. Mm-hmm. And and they're not mutually exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. They probably both contribute. Or how they compound. compound. Totally. How yeah. added Any together, staff. how yeah. does that craft the person that you had to work, like the... The sticky parts of yourself that you had to work yeah. through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and still work through, right? right. We'll always still have to work, work through. through. And, and Tegan will have to yeah. work through them, and so will we'll For just, sure. I just, I do, I see this, um, it's such like a... Like a common thread. It's a common thread, and yeah. it's like, and it's groundbreaking. So it's like the amount of growing, and we're using you guys because you are here, and this mm-hmm. is your story. But it, the amount of growing that you did in the moments of... I mean, let's, you know, from that moment that you uh, reconnected mm-hmm. at um, the football party. Mm-hmm. And then from that, the support of the marathon, mm-hmm. the um, Ironman. From that, the conception of Tegan, the preparation, mm-hmm. the shift and the turn to trusting in Brit's body, to trusting in our ancestral history, mm-hmm. humanity, you know, the species being you know, capable of doing this. All of that has manifested itself into the way that you treat each other mm. into the way that you see each other yeah. into the belief system that you have in each other so and to think about your parents for example like and I'm not saying that if they had had a home birth that they would have stayed together and everything would have been perfect I'm not saying that okay. but could it have been different you know if like your dad saw your mom in this light of like oh my gosh like watched her go through that mm. and you know and I don't know. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's interesting to think about. I'm not trying to like change the past or, um, prove something. I'm just, it's just like planting a seed of, yeah. of thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just being 
forever curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Forever curious, mm-hmm. mindful. And, um, yeah. So Woo-hoo! thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thanks for that. Oh, that conversation is so riveting. It was one of the most fun I have had yet. Um, getting to hear from mama and papa. So thank you, Britt and Casey and chug a luck. I think the new baby might come out really soon um, on this, uh, maybe even on the release date of this show, (laughs) of this episode. Um, So I hope you guys enjoyed. Please subscribe if you did um, and write me a little review if you'd like. That would be super stellar and awesome. Share it, send it to your friends. Um, You know, the more the merrier, the more communication, the more we can get this word out that your intuition and your instinct is the way to go with birth and um find me on on all those different platforms on instagram i'm i'm not sure if i'm gonna keep all three of those or you know my personal and the business and the free birth page but you can find me at rain reed on instagram at rain studios on instagram and at free birth spelled f-r-e-e-b-e-a-r-t-h um yeah it's a lot going on so i think i might need to simplify but thank you so much for tuning in and looking forward to next week mahalo